0: sports i'm your host wonder wallace so glad that you could be with us a lot of things going down in the world a lot of things going down in the world of sports both things that i'll be talking about today i hope everybody's being safe i hope everybody's using common sense i hope everybody is doing what they need to do to make this place a little bit better to be in right now we are in some turmoil right now we are in some grief right now we are in some controversy here in the united states so i hope those who are of difference of skin, difference of gender, difference in every walk of life. I hope that we're trying to find a way to come together to learn, to unify, to embrace, to love each other for our goods, for our bad, for our positive, for our negative, for our likes, and for our dislikes. We're not going to get through this separated. We are not going to get through this going different ways. We are not going to get through this not communicating with each other. We are not going to get through the present times that we're going to get through, that we need to get through if we're going to be divided, if we're going to be ignoring one another, if we're going to be standing on separate issues and not coming together and talking about this, learning about this, moving forward with this, those are the things that I'll be discussing today in the world of sports, along with what's going on in the NBA, along with what's going on with Mike Tyson. Those are the things that I'm going to be talking about. But I'm going to have to uh, be honest with you. I'm going to have to come correct and be real. This has been one of the harder weeks for me in terms of doing a podcast. I normally... Give you two podcasts a week. Normally, this is, this is a situation where no matter how long my podcasts are, and you can attest, they are long, that I try to give you at least two podcasts a week. I haven't done a podcast this week. And after what went down on Memorial Day with George Floyd, I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know even what to talk about. Was I going to strictly just take it sports? Was just going to strictly take it George Floyd? What was going to be happening? And the moves and the events and everything were shifting and turning and moving and grooving. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know exactly where to go. Now, basically, it took me until Saturday. Today, as I'm recording this, and this will be published on Sunday, long, much too long for me to be in between doing a podcast, so I apologize for that, but this was a situation where I really had to sit down, I really had to think, I really had to do some soul searching, I really had to sit and speak and talk and commiserate with a lot of folks about the direction I was going to take this podcast in, the the direction that I wanted to go with this podcast. I, I was going back and forth with this. And I finally had to say, say to myself, you just got to be true to who you are, man. You just got to be true to what you believe in. And I'm one of these guys when something like this is going on, I can't sit here and do a podcast and talk about, oh my goodness, I can't believe what the Dallas Cowboys are doing with Dak Prescott. Or I can't sit here with everything going down in the world today, the, the looting, the burning, the rioting, the division, the, 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 the ignorance Of trying to learn what's happening or trying to learn what's going down and the stereotypes and everything that's being brought up through this ugly event which was perpetrated by this terrorist aka police officer on George Floyd I couldn't all of a sudden then get on the microphone I couldn't push play on my record button and talk about the outrage that I feel that the NFL decided not to bring back the instant replay for passing the fears I mean that shit didn't make any type of connection that shit didn't make any sense How in the world am I going to shout and scream and be indignant and talk about, oh, my goodness, this is crazy, this is horrible, with anything concerning the NFL or with Major League Baseball or with the UFC or with the NBA? How in the world can I get to that level when we see what's happening in our country, when I can look outside, when I can turn on the news, when I can go ahead and see exactly that our country is being burnt to the ground through anger, through ignorance, through hostility, through racism, through bigotry? How in the world, then, can I sit here with any type of vigor, in gusto and talk about the outrage that I feel that, uh, you know, that press guy still hasn't been signed yet by the Dallas Cowboys. I really couldn't do that in full faith without mentioning, without talking about, without giving you my thoughts and feelings, my inner uh, thoughts and feelings and my heart and my soul concerning this matter of what's going down, with with, uh, George Zimmerman, what George Zimmerman. How about that Freudian slip with uh, George Floyd. So that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to be talking about today for some of the podcasts. I'll get to the NBA, no doubt. I'll get to some of the things that I heard with the NBA, no doubt. I'll get to what's happening when what I saw a Mike Tyson with AEW, without, with him feuding with Le Jabion, Chris Jericho, I'll get to all that. And interesting, when I was taking a look and I was doing my research and I was thinking about, you know, because I was intrigued when I was watching AEW and I was watching the ending of the program, and I was watching, you know, Mike Tyson, and he was there with Rashad Evans and Henry Cejudo and Vitor Belfort and those guys, and I guess those guys are starting to have a fraction to battle with the inner circle and all of those things, you know, good stuff seems to be on the horizon for AEW, but when I took a look at that, and you hear Tyson in the news over the last couple of weeks, you know, him with... Dana White's talking about, I've got some big news concerning Mike Tyson, and Tyson Fury up there talking about he wants to fight Mike Tyson, and Mike Tyson putting in all these videos of him working out, and he looks great. 53-year-old Mike Tyson for a 53-year-old man looks phenomenal, seems to be in phenomenal shape. So all of this stuff was just kind of like sparking my interest to see a little bit more about maybe what I can talk about with Mike Tyson. And then all of a sudden I saw this video, which I remembered. It was like, oh, shit, you know what? I remember that video that Mike Tyson did. I remember the statements. I remember the thoughts and feelings that he gave on Sugar Ray Leonard's podcast. And that clicked, and that touched me. And it was like, I got to talk about this. And I went back, and I saw it again. And I'll play the audio for you on my podcast. The, you know, When I talk about it on the segment in my podcast concerning Mike Tyson, and I said to myself, oh, man, wait a minute. Wait a minute, I think Mike Tyson is wanting to let Iron Mike out, and he's up there talking about, I don't want to let him out, I don't want to let him out, hell's going to be you know, leashed, unleashed upon people if I let him out, so I don't want to let him out, I know that I can't let him out, but I miss him so much, and I want Iron Mike to be there, and I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute now, 53-year-old Iron Mike Tyson, that scares the shit out of me. 53-year-old Mike Tyson, excuse me, 53-year-old Mike Tyson is a guy that I find inspiration in. Is a guy that I think that can be revered. A guy that I think that can go down to the communities and talk about, man, you want to talk about someone who didn't have a chance? You want to talk about someone who had opportunities and threw him away, and many people thought that he wouldn't be around by now, and many people multiple times counted him out from the time that he was born in Brownsville, New York, all the way up until he won the heavyweight championship, all the way up until he was put in jail, all the way up until he was let out of jail, all the way up until he bit Evander Holyfield's ear. How many times have we counted out Mike Tyson? How many times have we buried Mike Tyson? How many times have we raised Mike Tyson? And now look at him now, 53 years old. We thought that he was going to be the peaceful, the humble Mike Tyson. But something tells me that he is fighting the battle to keep Iron Mike inside of him. To keep that buried, to keep that gone. And that 53 age and physical deterioration of what he was when he was in his 20s and such might have been able to keep Iron Mike Tyson, that Iron Mike Tyson locked in. That demon, that warrior, that champion, that fighter. But Mike Tyson might be losing the battle for Iron Mike to come out. And what will that mean for not just society? What will that mean for Mike Tyson if Iron Mike Tyson takes over a little Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type of deal? Uh, you know, Bruce Banner, Incredible Hulk type of deal. Don't make Mike Tyson angry. You wouldn't like Mike Tyson when he's angry, because Iron Mike comes out, and someone is going to pay for that, either the perpetrator, the victim, or Mike Tyson. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so those are the things that I'm going to be talking about today, but I begin the podcast today. As I mentioned before, one of the more difficult ones that I've done in a long time. I remember I was there, rest in peace, Evan Cohen, and others, when I was at KDUS, AM 1060, The Deuce. When 9/11 happened, and I had to go on the air, I was doing the morning show, and I had nothing. I had absolutely nothing when the when we were attacked, when this country was attacked, and the planes flew into the um, uh, the buildings, the World Trade excuse me, the World Trade Center in New York City, and crashed in the Pennsylvania, and crashed into the Pentagon, and it was traumatic. I had to get on the air. What was I going to do? What was I going to talk about? I believe at the time the main subject du jour in the Phoenix, Arizona area was the stadium that was trying to be built. At the time, the Phoenix Cardinals were playing in Sun Devil Stadium. And they were trying to do everything that they can, they they could to pass a bill talking about they needed to build a stadium somewhere else, that they needed a new state-of-the-art stadium. And that was the talk of the, that was the, the sports topic Along with was Jake Plummer supposed to be? Was is Jake Plummer supposed to be the right quarterback for the team, and should Jake Plummer be starting and all that kind of stuff? If you you didn't have anything to talk about in sports at that time, and you were doing a sports talk radio show in Phoenix, Arizona, all you had to do to get the phone lines lit were to say either Jake Plummer needs to be the starting quarterback moving forward for the Phoenix Arizona Cardinals, or Jake Plummer needs to be released. He needs to be benched. He needs to be let go from the Arizona Cardinals. Morning, noon, and night, 24 hours a day, 12 months out of the year. That topic was always relevant with those of Phoenix, Arizona, and the phone lines would light up. Never went that route, but, you know, I was – up there, and I was getting my stuff together, and I was going to be talking about what was going down with the Arizona Cardinals, and Jay Plummer, and all of these types of things, and I guess some other things concerning the National Football League, because after all, it was September 11th, I was going to be talking about, you know, Barry Bonds, who still at that time was my favorite baseball player, despite all the things that were going down, despite his attitude, despite his rudeness, despite his curtness, despite his arrogance, that man was still my guy, you know, I was going to talk about that, and then, We saw me, Evan, Curdy B, some others. Then we saw exactly that plane flying into the building. We saw it live and we said to ourselves, shit, that wasn't no goddamn accident, especially when the second plane veered over and flew into those towers. We said, shit, that was not no fucking accident. So I had to go on the air. What the fuck was I going to talk about? Where was I going to go with this? So I just talked about the pain that folks should be feeling right now, the sorrow that folks should be feeling right now. Who should we blame? Who should our anger be directed towards? Not just those who flew that plane into the building, not just those who put the plan together to to, to cause this tragic catastrophe, but who in charge in this country do we blame, do we hold responsible for not keeping us safe? That's the only avenue that I could go that day. That's the only thing that I could do that day. And I was on, and I remember at the time that uh, my PD at the time was sitting there talking about, do you want to go to uh, you know, regular programming or do the national news, switch it over from sports to talk about this tragedy? And I said, give me another hour, and let me get my thoughts and feelings out. And then after that, man, you can go ahead and let's switch it over and... And do your thing. Do what you need to do. But, Henry, if you could just give me another. At the time, I was about half an hour to the program. I said, Henry, if you could just give me another half an hour to the top of the hour just to kind of have me say a few more things. I promise I won't say anything too incinerary. I promise I'm not going to say anything that's going to get you in trouble. I promise I'm not going to say anything that's going to get me banned by the FCC or anything like that. Let me just, for the community that I live in right now and the people who are listening to me right now, let me just kind of give them. Let me let let them be my therapist as I get out what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling right now as I watch watch this tragedy unfold. Just give me about one more, two more segments. If you can do that, I appreciate that. And for one of the few times in his life, me and him actually kind of agreed. So it was one of those situations. So again, in a whole entirely different light, the. The, 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 me doing a podcast where I don't have to do a three-hour podcast, two-hour podcast, one-hour podcast, half-an-hour podcast every single day at a certain particular time. I can go ahead, if I need to do a podcast on Monday and Thursday, I'll do it Monday and Thursday. As of right now, if I need to do a podcast on Tuesday and Saturday, Tuesday and Wednesday, Thursday and Saturday, Wednesday and Friday, whatever the days, whenever I'm available, whenever I get the feeling, whenever I feel it, whenever I'm focused. I can go ahead and I can do that. It would have been difficult for me to do that, to do a regular radio show, for me to go ahead and do what I needed to do after the things of the events that happened, for me to go on the air on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and talk sports. It really would have. would have been very hard. So I apologize that it took me so long. Maybe I should have been stronger. Maybe I should have been more focused. Maybe, I don't know but this was something that was affecting someone from my community. This is something that's been a problem that has been affecting people like us for centuries. Ever since the black man came over from this country, this has been something to where we've been fighting. Ever since that, we've even had a little bit of, of, of freedom that was given to us by our ancestors and by those who came before us, who gave their lives, who gave their bloods, who gave their spirits, who gave their souls, who gave their lives for us to have At the community for us to enjoy some of the things that we have right now. This has still been an ongoing problem. This has still been a situation that has not been resolved. This has still been a problem to where people on both sides of the track, one feeling the brunt, feeling the pain, feeling the anguish, feeling the repercussions and the other side kind of looking and saying, yeah, you know what? There has to be a reason or, "Eh, you know what, it's not that bad or, "Eh, you know what, your problem, not mine. So because of those things, it was a situation where Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I couldn't do it, could not do a podcast. But as I mentioned before, I'm going to do one now. I'm going to do one fantastically. I don't know if the word I don't know, even though there's a word called fantastically, but whatever. I'm going to give you everything that I've got, man. I'm going to give you my Levi Stubbs performance. Leave it all on this microphone, leave it all on this podcast, so you don't have to worry about me, and this podcast, Wendell's World of Sports, with yours truly, Wendell Wallace, you don't have to worry about me not giving you 100%, you don't you're not gonna have to worry about me mailing it in, you don't have to worry about me not giving you my thoughts and feelings and everything that, um, that I have toward this podcast, toward this subject, toward this subject matter, and fo- so on and so forth, so on and so forth, I'm going to give it to you, man. I'm going to give it to you. So the George Floyd story, as I begin here on Wendell's World of Sports Podcast, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. The George Floyd story, Floyd was arrested Monday evening after officers responded to a call about an alleged forgery in progress. The officers were told the suspect was sitting on the top of a blue car and found Floyd inside a car. When they arrived, the police said that he physically resisted after he got out of the vehicle. That was a fucking lie. Officers handcuffed Floyd, who police said appeared to be suffering medical distress. So the video from the bystanders, as this entire world has seen, has seen that Floyd uh, shows Floyd handcuffed and one of the terrorists, a.k.a. police officers, with his knee pressed against his neck. The name of this murderer, the name of this terrorist, the name of this piece of shit, the name of this guy who I hope suffers the same fate somewhere down the road as George Floyd did, that police officer, that terrorist who murdered George Floyd, his name I will not mention on this podcast. If you want to know, just look it up. It'll be very easy to find. But the, the that domestic terrorist uh, had Floyd on the ground And had his knee on his neck. As Floyd was pleading. Officer please I can't breathe. My stomach hurts. My neck hurts. Everything hurts. And he makes a plea to his mother. As this black man is being choked to death. By this terrorist. Choked to death. With a smirk on his face. As this black man is continuing to lose breath. To lose life. This police officer with no regard for any type of of life whatsoever concerning this matter. And his three uh, fellow conspirators moving on and doing nothing. As this man is pleading for his life. Dying right in front of him. And nothing happens. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. He was choked to death after being in that hole for nine fucking minutes. Those four terrorists, those people who are posing as police officers, but are nothing more than domestic terrorists in that situation. They were fired. Only one has been arrested. They charged this guy with third-degree murder or third-degree homicide and and, and second-degree manslaughter. The DA, DA sitting up there talking about, oh, yeah, you know, we move swiftly. Like this guy just finished winning himself a sporting contest or something like that, man. We we should be congratulated. We should be you know given the the, the Gatorade shower and be taken off, uh, taken off on on you know on, on people's shoulders and be at, be uh, woo we It took four days. That's extraordinary. Normally it takes nine to twelve months. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask any normal citizen out there: If you had committed this crime, and it was videotaped. It was recorded, and and it was brought to the police department. How quickly do you think you would have been arrested? Would it have taken nine months? Would it have taken a year? Or would it have taken nine minutes? Would it have taken nine seconds? Shit. They would have brought the whole goddamn SWAT, SWAT team out there to get your ass if you would have done something like that. And we have to have this DA up there sitting there talking about, well, you know, it took us four days. You know, this came in on Tuesday, and he's been arrested today, Friday. That's extraordinary. Really? Fucking really. And this one guy, this one guy said nothing about the other three. Oh, the other three are still under investigation. Well, damn, how about that, huh? Need me the next time someone, please, someone in the press, someone in the media, please tell me, report to me. When someone who murdered somebody had it on videotape like this. Domestic terrorist did with George Floyd. Please someone bring me some information. To where nine months after video. After um, video show this guy murdering this person. This normal everyday citizen was finally arrested. Please show me this video. The fact that this guy was. The fact that this guy was. You know DA was sitting up there proud. Of the fact that it took him only four days to arrest this guy. Wow, man. What kind of justice, what kind of world are we living in? What kind of times are we living in? So, you know, protest, demonstrations, riot throughout the uh, past three days, past four days. We don't know what's going to be happening now. I guarantee you I have no have no doubt in my mind as far as the looting and the rioting and all of those things that took place, the burning, the damage that was done to the city, I don't condone it, I don't like it, it's not good. But I tell you one thing, mission accomplished in terms of the effect of what it did. There is no way on earth, there is no way in hell, there is no fucking way that this guy gets arrested on Friday if the events from the rioting and the looting didn't happen the couple of days before. Now, you might call it justified, you might call it I'm cheering, you might call it that I'm saying that they should have done what they should have done. I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is because of those actions, a police officer now is in prison or is in jail right now as we speak. That doesn't happen if those things that happen in terms of what happened with Minnesota, the the burning and everything that happened, those things don't happen. That officer does not get arrested. It's unfortunate. It's tragic. It's sad that a community has to erupt like that for something that that should have been done four days ago. Finally, had to take place. But sometimes, unfortunately, unfortunately, you have to do what you have to do. So in Minneapolis, police abandoned the third precinct police station which had been a major protest side crowds went over to the station and set fire to the entrance. They set fire to other places, target and other places. Businesses were looted and blazes were uh, and blazes that were set at the evening evening war on and St. Paul, the police department reported 170 businesses had been damaged. The Minnesota uh, national uh, guard was activated more than 500 soldiers went down there and to the surrounding communities. Um, there was other news for the, pro- for the uh, during the process, the, during the protest. Donald Trump, the idiot, the piece of shit, the Antichrist that's in the White House right now, of course, being the gutless coward that he is, threatened to call in the National Guard, labeling the protesters as thugs. You know, it's very interesting that, of course, now we're starting to hear news that there were not white nationalists, which in the crowd, cheering for, you know, who have been big supporters of Donald Trump, they were some of the folks that have uh, been identified as looting and rioting and causing damage uh, in in that community. So for those who think that would sit entirely the neighborhood for where this tragedy took place in terms of George Floyd losing his life, that these were the people in the community or the only people were from that community that were looting and rioting and committing criminal acts. No, wrong, wrong again. There were some, yes, but they weren't the only ones. But getting back to this piece of shit that we have in the White House right now, this, this gutless, spineless coward that we have in the White House right now, is pretty interesting, but not really surprising, that he regarded those who were rioting some of the protesters, not all, but some of the protesters as thugs. Very interesting, because he didn't use that word thugs for the people who stormed the Capitol with loaded guns in Michigan. You know, some of them pushing inside while the legislator was debating an extension of the of Governor uh, Whitmer's state of emergency in response to the corona pandemic. Remember that? Protesters at the time holding up signs, waving the American flag, carrying firearms, some chanting, let us in, let us in, and this is the people's house, you cannot lock us out. Remember that? Others tried to get into the house floor, but they were blocked by state police and, and sergeant at arms. Do you remember that? No tear gas was fired. No rubber bullets were fired. The National Guard wasn't called. And either, either day that those idiots showed up. Remember that? I don't ever remember Donald Trump calling them thugs. I don't really remember the type of uh, force that was used on, that should have been used on those idiots. Why? Because they couldn't get a massage? Why? Because the governor at the time was being concerned about their safety, being concerned about their health, being concerned about the health of their fellow uh, Michiganders. The fact that we needed to be safe, that we needed to do what we needed to do so we could have the freedoms and the joys that we experienced before a little bit quicker. But because those idiots, because of those fools, didn't think that they were moving quick enough, that they felt that their civil liberties, they felt that their freedoms were being trampled on, that these idiots loaded up with their guns and went to the state capitol. Nothing happened in terms of uh, what happened with the protesters in Minnesota. Bullshit, nonsense, but predictable predictable. In other places, in Denver, shots were heard outside of the state capitol. Protesters were ushered inside by state patrol, and no one appears to have been hurt. In New York, officers arrested at least 40 people at the protests. Of course, in Michigan and other places where these folks were protesting the fact that they had to be quarantined and some of their liberties were being taken away for the good of themselves. i never heard of any of them being arrested. i never heard of any type of violence uh uh, happening with the police concerning that but of course you know when you see a different group of people protesting for a different cause you know all of a sudden now you start to see some violence you start to see some arrests you start to see some tear gas you start to see some rubber bullets you start to see the national guard you start to see all these things so you know as i mentioned before in new york the the officers arrested at least 40 at the at at their protest the charges included civil disobedience Officers pinned down several demonstrators and used tear gas and rubber bullets on the crowd. Um, so it's it's been crazy, man. It's been crazy. It has really been crazy. Now, my thoughts and opinions about rioting has been, I guess you could say it's been the same as Dr. King, as uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. And, and for one group of folks who live across the tracks from us, would you please stop would you please shut the fuck up? Well, y'all are sitting there as far as, well, you know, Dr. King... Dr. King wouldn't have been proud of you guys doing this. Dr. King didn't approve of rioting, so, you know, you're going against Dr. King. You know, you're not, you're you're going against his words and his teachings. He would be pretty upset. He would be pretty angry with you guys. You see, this is not the way to go because of Dr. King. Let me tell you something, man. Dr. King was a man. Dr. King was a great man. But the so last time I checked, there's only been one God. There's only been one Messiah, and it ain't Dr. King. Dr. King was an awesome guy. Dr. King was, uh, 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 you know, Everything that has been been bestowed upon Dr. King in terms of honors, in terms of everything, in terms of accolades and everything, absolutely. But Dr. King was not a god. Dr. King was not a messiah. As James Earl Ray and the government can protest, Dr. King can bleed just like anybody else. Dr. King can die if he gets his face shot off while sitting at a balcony, while standing at a balcony with a high-powered rifle on an April 4th, 1968 evening. A Messiah, that wouldn't happen to. Jesus Christ, that wouldn't happen to. The Lord and Savior, that wouldn't happen to. Dr. Martin Luther King was none of those. He was an extraordinary man. He was a great man. He was a legendary man. He was a national figure, a national treasure who we miss every single day. Not just black folks, but everybody. But when they sit there and when other folks start using Dr. King in terms of his example of, well, you know, he said that you shouldn't riot, and he was a man of peace. So, you know, you guys, this is our way to say that you guys shouldn't be doing this. You guys shouldn't be rioting. Yeah, Dr. King was a guy of nonviolence. And how did he die at the age of 39, April 4th, 1968? Oh, at the hands of a white man shooting, having his face shut off in the most violence of banner. So, please. But getting back, my thoughts about rioting in terms of our community is concerned, is the same as when Dr. King made a speech about the riot is the language of the unheard.
2: Let me say, as I've always said, and I will always continue to say, that riots are socially destructive and self-defeating. I'm still convinced that nonviolence is the most potent weapon available to oppress people in their struggle for freedom and justice. I feel that violence will only create more social problems than they will solve. That in a real sense it is impractical for the Negro to even think of mounting a violent revolution in the United States. So I will continue. To condemn riots and continue to say to my brothers and sisters that this is not the way, continue to affirm that there is another way. But at the same time, it is as necessary for me to be as vigorous in condemning the conditions which cause persons to feel that they must ga- engage in riotous activities as it is for me to condemn riots. I think America must see that riots do not develop out of thin air. Certain conditions continue to exist in our society, which must be condemned as vigorously as we condemn riots. In the final analysis, a riot is the language of the unheard. And what is it that America has failed to hear? It has failed to hear that the plight of the Negro poor has worsened over the last few years. It has failed to hear that the promises of freedom and justice have not been met. And it has failed to hear that large segments of white society are more concerned about tranquility and the status quo than about justice, equality, and humanity. And so in a real sense, our nation's summers of riots are caused by our nation's winters of delay. And as long as America postpones justice, we stand in the position of having these recurrences of violence and riots over and over again. Social justice and progress are the absolute guarantors of riot prevention.
0: Those are my thoughts and feelings. Thank you, Dr. King. God bless you. He condemned those who riot and commit violence. Riots are socially destructive, self-defeating. More uh, will create more problems than will solve. Impractical to try to create a violent revolution in the United States. If you're a black man, if you're any minority, I agree with that. I absolutely. Positively agree with that. He made the statement that nonviolence is the best way for black people at the time, at the time that he was speaking, for them to achieve greater equality. When someone is nonviolent or non threatening to us, of course. But he also said, and this is where those on the other side of the tracks, and even those in our community, this is, also, this is what they choose to ignore. He also said that he must be vigorous in condemning the conditions that cause people to feel they must engage in physical activity. That is to, cond- that he's just as likely, he should be, he is just as, you know, uh, critical of those who cause the conditions that cause people to riot. So riots don't exist out of thin air. I hate to tell you this. I mean, for those who don't know, Black folks and Hispanic folks and gay folks and women and everything and then all uh, any other repressed uh, community, over the last 200, 300, 400 years. We're, we're not just sitting around one day in the neighborhood and all of we say, hey man, what do you feel like doing tonight? Uh, you want to get a group of well, you want to get a big, large group of people from the neighborhood and go around and start burning down and looting our neighborhood? Yeah, sure, fuck it, let's go for it. I mean, that doesn't happen. That does not happen. The reason why, and that's what people fail to realize. They just take a look at the pictures. They just take a look at the scenes on the television. They just take a look at what's going down. And they say, all those criminals, all those thugs, this is wrong. This is terrible. You're breaking the law. You're, you're you know, tearing up things. This is wrong. This is terrible. You're looting. You're stealing. You're doing this. And look, 100% of those protesters, those quote-unquote protesters, they weren't down there for uh, bad reasons. They weren't down there because they were protesting someone's death. They weren't down there because they were protesting, you know, the, the the our liberties being taken away. I understand that there were a decent number of people down there who just said, you know what? When this shit starts to happen, I know that I'm going to get myself a free TV. I know I'm going to get myself a chance to steal this. I know I'm going to get my chance to steal that. So, you know, hey, whatever the situation's all about, whatever what y'all are rioting for, go for it because this gives me an opportunity to loot. I don't give a fuck about George Floyd. I don't give a fuck about the police. I don't give a fuck about the community. I don't give a damn about any of you. The only only thing that I'm going to be down here to do is steal and create mayhem. I, I understand that those are people, that there are people there with that type of mentality, that that type of have that type of attitude i get it and they're not all just white nationalists i understand there are those from the neighborhood those from the community those with the same skin color skin tone and background as as me i understand that there are people like that who are going to go into these these places of protests And cause a disturbance, who are looking for trouble, who are looking to steal, who are looking to be criminals. I understand that there are criminals in there within the protesters who are trying to get their point across, who are trying to get their message across, even committing some acts of vandalism, even some acts of rioting. That within that element of people who are just doing that to get their message across to say that we are angry, that we are frustrated, that we're not going to take it anymore, that we demand to be heard, understood that with within that group of people with that being their main concern, to have justice, equality, they have no other avenues to go except that. I understand that there are those within that. A wolf in those sheep clothing that are going to be like, fuck it, this is my opportunity to loot. criminalize and that's the only thing that I'm down here for. Understood. Understand. But then again, while I condone that type of violence, while I believe that if you see somebody doing those type of things, that correctly so, they should be arrested. And how about this? I'm not even talking about them being arrested nine months to a year from now. I'm not even talking about they need to be treated like the police officers, like these domestic terrorists who cause mayhem, who cause death, who cause destruction, who cause despair within our community. I'm talking about treating them like a common criminal that they are. If within this protest, within these, these uh, statements of hearing us feel our pain, do you have my attention now? For those who want to go ahead and just say, fuck it, all I'm down here to do is to loot, rob, and steal. Arrest those people. Arrest those people. Black, brown, Hispanic, Asian, atheist, Jewish. I don't give a fuck. Arrest those people. Immediately. Put them in jail. Charge them with a crime. Because that's what they did. Commit a crime. Without question. Without question. But I also understand that, damn it, Sometimes you have nowhere else to go. And I tell you one thing, for those who are ignorant, for those who don't want to learn, for those who are stuck in their ways, for those who don't have the capacity to go past the initial reaction, who don't have that shovel, who don't have that pick, who don't have the instrument to dig a little bit deeper into why these riots take place. And you just want to focus on the minority or for the percentage of people who are just there just to loot and to rob, and to commit crime, and commit mayhem. For those who don't have the capacity, whether because of the size of the track that you were born on, or just because of your mental acuity, which isn't much, believe me, these riots don't start. The folks who are doing the looting or the rioting, the majority of these people, they have been pushed to a place where they have to do it because of the conditions that they have been in. Period. End of story. Condemn those who want to go ahead and commit thievery and commit some type of mayhem just for the fuck of it. But damn it, don't condemn those who for decades, for years, who have been under the oppression of police brutality, of police going into their neighborhoods and violating their civil, li- civil rights and downgrading and denigrating their way of life and making it harder for them to to live in their normal everyday life. Don't don't blame them, folks. Don't blame them, folks. The language of the unheard is what Dr. King said. When promises are not kept, conditions do not improve. Our plight remains the same. Our goals of freedom and equality are not moving in the right direction. What else can you do? I mean, Dad, we go ahead and we have a guy who kneels. We have a guy here named Colin Kaepernick who wanted to take the mantra, wanted to take the example of Dr. King. And not throw bombs and not throw bullets and not loot and not riot and not destroy and not break up and not destroy neighborhoods and not destroy lives and not try to hurt people. We had a man named Colin Kaepernick who wanted to display some of the displeasure that his fellow brothers and sisters and communities from California all the way over to Maine have been experiencing with the police department, with police brutality, with the racist criminal justice system. He tried doing that in a peaceful way. What happened to Colin Kaepernick? He lost his job. What happened to Colin Kaepernick by doing it the a peaceful way? What happened to Colin Kaepernick when he was protesting on a very peaceful way? A way that Dr. Martin Luther King would have been proud. What happened to him? Oh, he was called an anti-American. He was called a guy who was no good. He was a bum. He was a, you know, he's all of these things, right? Criticized. And the NFL finally, quote unquote, blackballed him. So what, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? Others who knelt with him before a game started. Not after every play. He wasn't overt about it. He wasn't sticking it in your face. The, the, the players who did that, they weren't doing that. They were criticized. They were called anti-American. Okay, so let me ask white folks something. What do you want us to do? How do you want us to get our pain and our frustration out? If we can't do it peacefully, what do you want us to do? Maybe what do it when you know you can't be bothered as one, I heard one sports writer said, you know, I'm here to watch a football game and you want to do that. Why don't you do that on, on your own time? Oh, when you mean that you're not around when you don't have to experience that white privilege showing through and through. White privilege right there. The ability for you to say, you know what? That's not my problem. I mean, as far as police brutality and the way that you treat you guys, the criminal justice system, the way that you treat you guys. Look, I'm not black and I don't live in a black community. So could y'all kind of do that one? I don't have to deal with that shit because last time I checked, I ain't never gonna be pulled over and be harassed and be killed or be put in jail or be accused of something I didn't do based on the color of my skin. So if you guys don't mind, I'm here to watch a football game. Do you, could you black folks kind of do that on your own time? Maybe go over to BET or something like that, or maybe go down to the black church or I don't know, man, you know, do it somewhere else. The, the, the the arrogance. So we, we can't do it that way. So exactly why, when do you, when and how do you want us to do it? Because, I, I I don't get it, and again I I don't I don't think that the that loo- looting and rioting are ways to go. I don't, but I think that if you are going to do that, it has to be a situation where you have nowhere else to go, and if you check back in our history, especially when it comes to our communities. Whether it be Newark in 1967, whether it be Watts in 1965, whether it be LA in 1992, whether we're speaking about OJ in 1994, whether we're speaking about uh, Ferguson, whether we're speaking about Baltimore, whether we're speaking about anything else, whether whatever communities that we're talking about that has caused riots, it has not been a situation where A, we were just bored and we needed something to do, B, it was a knee-jerk reaction because this is the first time that it ever happened, and see, this is just something where, you know, folks just wanted to get up and just wanted to loot and destroy our communities and our neighborhoods. It didn't happen that way in Washington, D.C. It didn't happen that way in Miami, Florida. It didn't happen that way in Los Angeles. It didn't happen that way in San Francisco. It didn't happen that way in Minnesota. It didn't happen that way in Ferguson, Missouri. It didn't happen that way in Baltimore, Maryland. It didn't happen that way. So... Instead of concentrating and whining and being indignant and talking about and concentrating and focusing and putting all of your thoughts and feelings and emotions and opinions about about those who are looting and rioting, again, ask yourself the question, why are they doing it? What has brought people to the point where they need to destroy their own communities to get someone to finally pay attention to their pain? What is it where someone is going to be in a position to where, you know what, I am willing to lose my life over this, to get the attention of what's going on in our community, the injustices, the oppressions that are going on in my community. What mindset do you have to be in? How much do you have to be pushed in a condition of living as a human being to where you feel that this is your only way to get your message out? That's what... Looting and rioting, and that's what's been going on. That I've been concentrating on. That again, somebody needs to get together and say, "Man, you know what? This bullshit with police brutality, this has got to stop." And while we can't stop it, there's some things that you just can't stop in this world. There's some things that are always going to be in this world. They're always going to be happening. It doesn't deal with. You know, it, it, it's, it's been there since the beginning of time. and It's going to be there since the end of time. It's going to be here. It is going to be prevalent, it is going to be a situation, it is going to be a discussion, it is going to be a topic of discussion, and all of those things long after I'm gone. Poverty, race relations, uh, pain, sorrow, all of these things. All of these things are a part of just the world that we live in. Police brutality is never going to go away. You're always going to find police officers, a.k.a. domestic terrorists, who are going to be racist. Who are going to abuse their uh, uh, their their privilege of being a police officer, a peace officer? Remember that term, peace officer. There's always going to be police officers. Just like how in the world do you stop um, teachers from going after children in schools? In terms of uh, these teachers who go after these. These, these teenagers and they have relations with them and all those type of things. What can we do about poverty? What can we do about crime? What can we do about a national debt? What can we do about all of these things? All of these things are still going to exist. Racism is still going to exist. There is no panacea. There is no cure. There is nothing that we can do to where we're going to be living in the utopian society that the majority, majority of us want to happen. The only thing is how can we minimize it and how can we deal with it when it when it comes up. So with police brutality, what exactly can we do to make sure that when we have police officers who do commit the act of murder or violate the civil rights of those within oppressed minority communities, what exactly can we do? The only way that we can help out those communities, the only way that we can better those communities is to A, forge some type of harmonious, positive, loving, trustful relationship with the communities that we're there to protect and serve, and B, when that trust is broken by our quote unquote peace officers, that they are faced with swift, severe punishment. See, we're on the side of always, well, the thin blue line and all of this kind of stuff, and cops have a tough job, and because of that, they have more, they have more excuses to do what they do. And for a true, officer for a true policeman who really is who really wants to be who is altruistic in his motives of intentions to be police officers to help out the community yeah absolutely nothing but love for them. understand understand some of the more more situations in terms of what they can do how they can exert their power what they have because of the job that they do absolutely for those who are responsible for those who use it correctly Absolutely. But we have just too many officers, and you know this, I know this, everybody knows this with a brain in their head. We just have too many officers who feel they need to abuse that power. And they abuse it on those of color and poor communities. Predominantly. So it needs to stop. So when these things continually happen, whether it be in Baltimore, whether it be in Memphis, whether it be in Watts, whether it be in Newark, whether it be in New York City, whether it be in Washington, D.C., whether it be in Liberty City in Miami, whether it be in Ferguson, whether it be in Minneapolis, whether it be in Washington, whether it be in San Francisco, whether it be in Portland, any, all of these places that I'm mentioning that have seen police officers get away with murder, Richmond, Virginia, Dallas, Texas, Houston, Texas, all of these places where black folks have been accosted assaulted, murdered by police officers. And oh, he's acquitted. A man gets shot 41 times by the police officer. Well, it looked like he was going for something. We didn't know that he was unarmed, so we shot him. Oh, okay, in that case, acquitted. When this stuff goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on, and on, and on what do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? I don't condone rioting at all. I don't condone it at all. But sometimes it is the ways of last resort. And you just got to take the bad that comes with the necessary reasons to do it. Unfortunately, that's why it should be only on extreme measures that we're going to do this. And believe me, believe me, when people start protesting and doing these things, no one starts off with, okay, fucking tonight, let's go out and loot. You know, when we're going to go out there and we're going to start protesting and we're going to start, you know, showing, holding these protests about what happened with George Floyd and others, and about 15 minutes in, I'll give the signal. Let's everybody turn around and start destroying shit. No one has that plan. But unfortunately, that comes with the territory. But you know what? As someone said, when uh, Jack Johnson defeated Jim Jeffries, July 4th, 1910, The end of the great white hope, the fight in Reno, Nevada for the heavyweight championship of the world, when at the time the being the heavyweight champion was a symbol of 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 pride, was a symbol of strength, was a symbol of power. And white folks at the time, under no conditions whatsoever, were they going to have a black man ever get that title. And Jack Johnson said, oh, yeah, I'll show you. He beat Tommy Burns in 1908, beat up a bunch of has-beens, Stanley Ketchel at middleweight, knocked him out. They were looking for somebody, had to try to find somebody. The white establishment, the white community, the white population had to find somebody. They came up with Jim Jeffries, labeled him the great white hope. The last chance for a while for anybody to take the title away from Jack Johnson, return it to his rightful owner, the white, the white uh, community. Jack Johnson knocked that motherfucker out in 15 rounds, and because of that, they were rioting, they were looting in the streets, in Chicago, in Philadelphia, in Louisville, and black folks died, white folks died, houses were destroyed, businesses were destroyed, but as a writer, a black writer, said of those, um, said of those instances, it would have been it would have been worthless to it, it, it's better to have Jack Johnson win and for some black people to lose their lives rather than Jim Jeffery winning and no one's getting and, and no one has gotten hurt. You know what I mean? So basically it was just a matter of look, the consequence or the repercussions of Jack Johnson beating Jim Jeffries. The repercussions meaning that some black folks are gonna to have to give up their lives for that. It was worth it, because the few that had that gave up their lives when they were murdered in those riots by whatever reasons, that is just the price you have to pay for the movement of our community to move forward, to move forward to equality, justice, and freedom. And that's sometimes how I take a look at those who riot. I hate to see it. I fucking hate to see it. It's terrible, it's horrible. No one wants to riot. No one wants to do this. But sometimes when you're forced to do something because nothing else works, unfortunately, this is what you have to do. And with that comes good and bad. What do you mean good? Good means that we are now heard. Good means that we have someone who is a murderer off the streets. Unfortunately, tragically, it means that businesses were looted. Businesses were destroyed. Unfortunately, and damn it, I sure hope in our community, for those black businesses that were destroyed in those riots, man, if I only had Michael Jordan's money, man, if I only had Michael Jordan's money, power, and influence, those black businesses need to be rebuilt. I don't know what the Minnesota Vikings can do, I don't know what the Minnesota Timberwolves can do. I don't know what the Minnesota North Stars can do. I don't. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know what uh, the Minnesota Twins can do. I don't know what they can do. But somehow, some way, I hope that there is a way. Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Anybody who's ever been associated with Minnesota, I hope that when everything is all said and done, the looting, the riots, and everything, we take account into okay what small black businesses in that area were destroyed by the riots. What can we do? What should we do? Keith Ellison, I know that you're the district attorney. I don't know, man, but there's something that we've got to do to try through public assistance. Go me page. Do something. What can we do to rebuild some of those black businesses that were destroyed in that community? What can we do? Or something, unfortunately, I don't know what can we do. But again, not for rioting. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all, not at all, not at all. But man, sometimes, unfortunately, when situations present itself to where we have no other choice, unfortunately, you have to do what you have to do.
1: Nobody knows that trouble that i've seen nobody knows my sorrow nobody knows the trouble that i've seen glory That I've
0: seen. Nobody knows my Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. I hope everybody is doing well. I hope everybody is unifying. i tell you one thing. Um, because, you know, if you listen to some of the folks who aren't about unifying in this country, if you talk to some of those or if you listen to some of those, you know, look, sometimes I... This is my fault. This, this is my weakness. This is my weak spot, my, my my ignorance in this level, my self-ignorance when it comes to this, my weakness, my self lack of self-discipline in this area. You know, I, I, I read some of the comments on Twitter, and I read some of the comments from some of the stories, and I read some of the comments from Yahoo when they have their comments section, and I get too riled up. And sometimes I put too much, you know, I put too much... Um, uh, praise or I put too much importance on what people say both negatively and positively concerning some of these things and you have to I have to keep reminding myself that some of the vitriol some of the ignorance some of the ridiculousness some of the racist, some of the cluelessness that you see uh, concerning some of these matters that you see on Twitter that you see in the comment section of Yahoo dot com of their stories, you have to realize that a, you know, not not everything's going to be one hundred percent, you know, not not everything can ever be like oh yeah yeah you're right on Wendell you're absolutely correct yeah you are so great and you are so wonderful and you are so dead spot on and I'm not just talking about things that I say but or but things that I believe in, you know hey, the rioting is it sucked it's horrible I hate it I don't condone it I'm not up here cheering for it. I'm not up here saying, yeah, let's do it again the first time something like this happens again. I'm not advocating violence. I'm not advocating looting. I'm not advocating rioting. But I am, again, putting the emphasis on the fact that I understand why if you're pushed to a certain level, if you're pushed and if you're oppressed and if you reach a certain point to where you feel that this is the only thing that you can do to get your voice heard, to get your feelings across, to get your problems basically taken care of or basically being um uh, heard if this is the only thing that's left for you to do because you've tried every other measure and every other measure has been met with resistance and disrespect and ignorance and not caring and everything else in between if this is the only thing that's left for you to do And again, multiple times you tried every other way to get your point across, to get these problems dealt with, and you're met by nothing but obstacles that you feel the other ways of trying to do things to get your point across can't be done, then I understand that if you're you're finally pushed to that point after years and decades of saying, fuck it, we ain't going to take it anymore. Power, powder keg had finally exploded. Understand, I understand that. So when I read these comments, whether it be on social media, whether it be in Twitter, whether it be on Facebook, whether it be in Yahoo Sports, you know, Yahoo dot and these stories and everything, and you know, sometimes I'll go to the Breitbart sites and others just to get a just to get a gander of what's going on. I don't know why I'm doing it. I'm not, sometimes I'm not really the smartest guy in the room or the smartest guy on the planet. You can. I'm quite sure, basically, a lot of y'all say, yeah, I know that by listening to your podcast, shit. No, but, uh, you know, it's a situation where um, I I can't let that get to me in terms of uh, having those comments, those thoughts and feelings feel that this is the prevailing thought pattern of those in the communities from us. I have to make a point that I always go back to me being in the classroom. You can have a bad class. If you have 30 kids in the classroom, four or five kids who are acting up can make that experience in the classroom horrific, horrible, terrible. You don't want to go back in there. But just because those four or five assholes are causing you to feel this way, are causing you to have this attitude, that doesn't mean that that's the entirety of the students in the class. Because shit, you might have out of those 30 kids, you might have 15 kids that are fantastic, that are glorious, that are a pleasure to have in class, that are respectful, that wouldn't do anything, that are there to learn and all those type of things. You could have another seven or eight kids who are pretty good, that are really good, no problems, doesn't do anything for you whatsoever. And you could have two or three or four kids that might be followers. You know they're, they're 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 too weak. They're in, too immature at this point of their lives to whether they want to go the right way or go the left way. So they're impressionable. They can be swayed either way. And then you have the four or five kids in that class of thirty who just are just a living nightmare. And within those four or five kids, you might have one or two that, you know what, man, if I had the ability to pick you up and throw you out the window, I would do that in a heartbeat. You get me so angry. You get me fr- so frustrated. You are so disrespectful. You are so such a problem child in the classroom that I want to pick you up by the neck and try to ram you through a brick wall. Of course, you don't do that. You send them to the dean's office. But you know, you, 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 they they bring they bring that type of that anger out of you if you let them get to you like that. But the bottom line is that those four or five kids don't define the other 25 kids that are in the classroom. Those four or five assholes don't, make, or, 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 or don't put a dark cloud over the other 15 to 20 kids who are just a pleasure to have in class. So you have to kind of make sure that you don't then take your anger out on those kids who are wanting to be in there, who are wanting to learn, who are respectful, You don't take the anger that you have toward those four or five assholes that are causing your classroom to just be a living nightmare for the 55 or 85 minutes that you're in period four or period six or period two or period eight when you're trying to teach and it's just a living fucking nightmare because of them. You don't take that anger. You don't take the frustration. You don't take the opinions that you have of that child, of those kids that are being disrespectful and being disruptive, and bring it and put that in the same place at those other 15 or 20 kids who are probably just as disgusted you are, but they have to be part of this. <sighs> That's the same thing I feel sometimes I have to feel with some of my brothers and sisters of a different skin color across the tracks, that I can't let the Sean Hannity's, I can't let the sheep who believe in the Rush Limbaugh's and the Michelle Malkin's and the Michael Savage's and the C- Tucker Carlson's and the Laura Ingrams and the Bill O'Reilly's I can't let those folks who think that Donald Trump is a guy who, if he shot somebody on Fifth Avenue, that I would still vote for him, that I would still believe him. I I can't let those people, I can't let those ignorant people, I can't let those clueless people, I can't let those weak people, I can't let those narrow-minded people, I can't let those people cloud and judge the way that I feel about the overwhelming group of white folks who sit there and say, hey, look, man, I mean, you know, I kind of sort of feel your pain, man. Believe me, believe me, believe me, <laughs> believe me. I mean, you know, because I'm sorry, man, the last couple of days, you know, I got I got some news for white America. Black folks ain't happy with y'all right now. I mean, just, you know, we ain't, don't worry about it. We ain't going to do anything, you know. We're not going to walk up in the street and punch you. We're not going to be in the, you know, we're not going to go up to you and start cursing you out. We're not going to start calling you this and that. We're not going to, we're not going to show any type of violence. Don't worry about it when we're, Walking down the street tonight when we're taking our daily walks to make sure that we get our fresh air and we get our exercise in, and we're walking down the street, A, you don't have to run across the street because we feel that we're that you feel that we're going to run up and start yelling and screaming at you, and you know, George Floyd, bitch! Pop, pop, pop! None of that kind of stuff. Nor you don't have to be. Please, another thing for white folks, please don't be extra nice to us. You know, for those who are feeling guilt, like, man, you know what, right now, Because, you know, I've had had white friends who have called me up and and I'm like, hey, man, you know that I'm not happy with y'all right now, right? You know that I'm angry with y'all right now, right? He goes, yeah, my friends are like, yeah, I know, I'm angry at me too. I don't like white folks either right now. And I'm white. So I get you, man. I I understand it. We have a good laugh about that. But uh, please, whatever you do, don't, because you feel guilty about what's been happening, what's been going down, maybe you learn some new stuff. Like, What? The police officers have been doing this to black folks for this bad? Really? I didn't know that. I can't believe that. Wow! Please don't go up to us and be like, "Hi, how you doing, buddy? How are you doing, my favorite person, my great friend? I think that you people are just so wonderful. Let me put just, just, just leave us alone, man. Just treat us like normal everyday people, please. <laughs> Hi, how you? Hey, Kate, to see a uh, beautiful night is in the, tonight. You wanna, you wanna walk? You wanna walk with me, and we can, we can chat, and we can talk, and we can get to know each other, and we can become friends. And see, I'll show you that I'm not scared of you. I'll walk down the street with you. You see, you see, we're not all bad. It's like, <laughs> all right, all right. I was waiting for that shit. I did some Uber in today, you know, just to make a couple of extra bucks. <laughs> I was kind of anticipating that. It's like, okay, what well, white folks are gonna get in my car and start being all. Happy and smiling, and how you doing? And this, that, and the other. I mean, you know, <laughs> what what folks are gonna be doing that? But uh, no, nah, it was it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, I'm angry at white folks right now, but hey, don't worry, I'll get over it. I'll live. One of those in sports. Hey, how you doing? I'm not crossing the street because I'm scared of you. <laughs> you're my friend. I love you. You know, I'm Malcolm X. Okay, <laughs> you know, you know. I, I love hip hop. Okay, all right, but uh, Wendell's world of sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Um, speaking about what's going down, um, with this whole deal, uh, with the um, uh, situation with Greg Floyd in Minneapolis. Uh, speaking about again, because I feel I have to say this over and over again. do not condone the violence. Do not condone the writing, but I the rioting. But I understand. Why they didn't? People are asking, you know, I can't believe this. Why is that, and the other? Here's a stat that i want to throw out to you as I was doing some research for my podcast, speaking about, you know, why people of color or those who are in oppressed neighborhoods or those who are in predominantly black, brown, Hispanic neighborhoods, why are they rioting? Well, I came across this stat in 2015. It said police kill at least 104 104, 104. Unarmed black people in 2015 nearly twice each week. Nearly one in three black people are killed by the police. Who were killed by the police were identified as unarmed. through the actual number is highly likely due to the underreporting. 36% of unarmed people killed by police were black in 2015, despite black people being only 13% of the U.S. population. Unarmed black people were killed at a five times the rate of unarmed whites in 2015. Of the 104 cases in 2015, only 13 of the 104 cases in 2015 where an unarmed black person was killed by police resulted in officers being charged with a crime. Four of these cases have ended in a mistrial or charges against the officers were dropped and only four cases resulted in convic- convictions of officers involved, with a fifth resulting in the officer pleading guilty. That's the reason why we are frustrated. That's the reason why that sometimes we feel the need that the only thing that we have left as far as our arsenal is concerned to get the word out about what's going on is to do, go to extreme and to riot. Black males killed by white cops, I mean we can go all the way down the list. we can go on and on and on and on. if I did a ten hour podcast strictly dedicated to unarmed black men being killed by the police. I could go on and on for 10 hours and still have more hours to spare. Mamadou Diallo, shot 41 times by New York City terrorist police officers. Remember that? Back in 19, I was 1998 or 1995, the rise of Al Sharpton before Tawana Brawley, where the man was shot, A uh, African immigrant, was shot 41 times by the police because they thought, oh my goodness gracious, we thought that he might have had a gun. Check it out on Netflix. I remember that case. It was awesome. It was, I mean, the, the show was awesome, but the, the, it was horrific what happened to that young man. Sean Bell was fatally shot by the NYPD uh, officers outside of a Queens night bar the night before his wedding with two companions. Officers reportedly fired 50 times at the men. Eric Gardner, 43 years old, dies after a police terrorist tackles him to the ground in a department van chokehold during an arrest for allegedly selling cigarettes illegally. Gardner is restrained on the ground by several officers. I can't breathe was Gardner's last words as he suffered from asthma. Uh, other black men who have been murdered by the police and not face justice, we have Ahmad Arbery, Michael Brown, Walter Scott, Freddie Gray, Maquan McDonald, Philandro Castile, Terrence Crutcher, Samuel DeBose, Tamir Rice, Trayvon Martin. We can go all the way back, folks. We can go all the way back. The Watts Riots of 1965, violence that happened from August 11th to the 17th, the arrest of a 21-year-old Marquette Fry, a black motorist who was arrested by a white uh, highway patrolman. That's the one that set that off. And what maybe could be, I don't know, but if you are old enough, do you remember the long, hot summer of 1967 where there were 159 race riots that erupted across the United States? Uh, In June, there were riots in Atlanta, Boston, Cincinnati, Buffalo, Tampa. In July, there were riots in Birmingham, Chicago, New York City, Milwaukee, Minneapolis, New Britain, Rochester, and Plainfield. The most destructive riots of that summer again took place in July in Newark, New Jersey, in Detroit, Michigan. Of course, 1968, April 4th, 366 days before the one day Wendell Wallace was born in Washington, D.C., the Martin Luther King assassination that was called the Holy Week Uprising, 125 cities in April and May in cities like Baltimore, Washington, D.C., Detroit, Michigan, New York City. Uh, Chicago, Louisville all suffered uh, damage from that, the 1980 Miami riots, riots started in earnest on May 18th of 1980, that was following the acquittal of four Dade County Public Safety Department officers in the death of Arthur McDuffie, other riots of course as we know of the 1992 LA riots, the, 19, uh, the 2015 Baltimore riots, those in Ferguson, um, you know, all because of police brutality. All because of not only just police brutality, but no justice was done for those who were suffering the brunt and the oppression that was dished out by those police officers during that time. That's the reason why, under those certain uh, uh, certain uh, situations that rioting had to take place. Do you really think black folks were really gonna take, get a fair shake in Newark, New Jersey in 1965 or 1967? Do you really think that the police department was gonna do the right thing in 1965 and watch 1992 in LA? Do you really think that was gonna happen? Do you really think in a predominantly black neighborhood minority community in Miami during the 1980s that the officers were gonna face true justice in terms of facing the punishment for the crimes that they committed? Do you really think in 2015 that Freddie Gray was going to get justice for what happened to him? Do you really think in a place like Ferguson, Missouri, which is so predominantly black, that the Michael Brown was going to be getting justice? Hell no. So what the fuck do you want to do? What do you want us to do? Sit there, shrug our shoulders and say, oh, okay, maybe the next time we might get lucky. So I don't, you know, you know again, I, that that is the point that we're trying to get at. That is the point that we're trying to get at. And for those who feel that, hey, you know what? Rioting, why do we riot? This country is based on riots and civil disobedience. Let me tell you something, man. If it wasn't for folks, the, the, the uh, colonists, the, the, those who are from this country, those who were living in this country at the time, back in the 19th and the 18th century, if it wasn't for them, we would still be owned by Britain. And people like me would still be picking cotton and would still be slaves. The refusal of the Stamp Act in 1765, that was the igniter to start the American Revolution in England. The refusal to do that. What do you think Tarn Feathered came from? Tarn Feathered came from the term, that term came from where if you were living in America at the time, which was under British rule, and you were siding with the king, because at that time before the start of the revolution, people like John Adams and Thomas Jefferson and those were speaking about uh, freedom. Thomas Paine wrote something about deeming our freedom. So this was in the works. This was what they were talking about. And once again, they were upset. Taxation without representation. The Stamp Act coming over from England. People revolted, people looted, people tore up houses, people did damage for those who sided with the king because they were saying, these columnists were saying, why in the world are we going ahead and giving our money to these people over across the sea who don't know anything what we're doing over here, who don't contribute to anything that we're doing over here? Why are they taxing us? We should be independent. We're talking about New York. We're talking about Boston. We're talking about South Carolina. We're talking about all of these places to where we have been governing ourselves for a long time. Why is it that now Britain feels the need that they need to send over these, 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 these uh, 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 taxes? We ain't going to put up with that. Again, taxation without representation. They didn't do that by civil. They didn't do that by peacefully protesting. They didn't do that by weeding it out before Britain changed their mind. They got their point across by rioting, by looting, by tarring and feathering anybody who was for the king. They would pour hot wax on these guys, hot grease on these guys, and they would put feathers on these guys. And the thing was so uncomfortable that these guys to be prancing around like a goose. So that's how you got tarred and feathered. That's how that came about. The Boston Massacre of 1910. Uh, 1770, the Boston Tea Party is seven, 1773. Those were acts of defiance. Those were acts of rioting. The Boston Tea Party, you had people living in this country dressing up as Native Americans, showing their ignorance at the time, dressing up as Native Americans, going down to a ship because Britain had put a, a uh, tax on tea. So, what did they do? What did the colonists the, the do? They went down dressed as Indians, Native Americans, and stole that tea, threw it into the harbor. Acts of defiance, acts of rioting, the slave rebellions. American slave rebellions and insurrections have been taking place during the 17th, 18th, and 19th century. Thank you. God bless you, John Brown. God bless you, Uh, God bless you, Nat Turner. Uh, Denmark Vesey in South South Carolina. Nat Turner in in, uh, Southampton, Virginia who led slave rebellions. Thank you, John Brown, who raided Harper's Ferry in 1859, shot and killed uh, six slave masters along with was uh, injuring nine. So this is nothing new. This is nothing where it's kind of like, wow, really, this is uh, rioting. This is horrible. This is terrible. Again, if it wasn't for rioting, well, you think that we we're going to be, you think Britain all of a sudden was going to say, hey, you know what, those... those um, those subjects of ours over in America, you know what? Fuck it. Let's give them their freedom. Screw it. Go no, ahead, guys. You do your thing. Have at it. Have a blast. You really think if it wasn't for rioting, if it wasn't for civil disobedience of the most extreme, that that the slaveholders, were that, that the, that the uh, slave masters were going to one day sit there and say, you know what? Shit, man. I tell you what. Having slaves is wrong. Owning people are wrong. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to go ahead and I'm just going to let them... I'm, I'm just going to set them free. Yeah, I'm going to set them free. Fuck it. I'll see what I can do about maybe getting somebody to pick our cotton up, give them a decent living wage. And But you know what? I'm, I'm going to give these guys the freedom. No longer are they going to be in shackles and everything. In fact, after I go ahead and free them, I'm going to give them 40 acres and a mule. And I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to teach you not only how to read and how to be independent, but I'm going to teach you also... How to um, make a living also. Fuck it. You know what? I might as well do that. Because, you know, it's just morally wrong for us to be owning slaves. You really think slave owners one day woke up and had that attitude? Fuck no! (laughs) You think women in this country were like, Oh, you know, let's just sit back, relax, and wait. And let's wait for males to finally see the light and start treating us more like second-class citizens. I sure hope that, that homosexuals in this country, the gay and lesbian community, I sure hope you guys aren't sitting back Waiting for us to finally say, "Hey, oh, you know what, guys? You know, your lifestyle and everything is cool. You know, some of the stereotypes and some of the things that we've been dealing with in terms of kind of denying you, you know, uh, you know, marriage and all of these types of things and, and treating you with respect. Yeah, you know what? Hey, it's none of our business and this, that, and the other. Go ahead, guys. We'll leave you alone. You can do whatever you want to. I sure hope that you're not waiting for uh, straight men and women in this country and all over the world to uh, get to that point. Because that shit ain't happening. You, you know what? That shit is not happening. So, you know what, man? Writing, again, it ain't right. It ain't culture. It ain't something that I applaud. It ain't something that, you know, I say go for it anytime that you have a little beef, that you have a little disagreement, that you feel left to be your first, second, or third, or fourth choice in terms of what do we need to do to get attention to what's going on, the plight of our community, the plight of our gender, the plight of what we're going through. The first, the first idea, the second idea, the third idea, the fourth idea, the fifth idea, the sixth idea, the seventh idea should never, never be to riot, never to be to loot, never to be to destroy, never to be to burn down, absolutely not. But when you've gone through all of those things and you don't see any progress, you don't see anywhere else to go, just remember, this country was based. We gained our freedom. Not just black folks, not just women, not just any of the other uh, minority. America gained its freedom. America gained its rights. Not by peaceful protesting. Not by waiting back and making and hoping that Mastiff would finally let it free. They got their freedom by doing exactly what those people in Minnesota, Chicago, Louisville, Baltimore, Oakland, what's been going on the past three days. America got the way that they were, got their freedom exactly by what you guys are doing. World of sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. LeBron James, Colin Kaepernick, Stephen Curry, some of the some of the several high-profile athletes who were speaking out after the murder of George Floyd. James wrote on Tuesday night, he shared a side-by-side image of the officer kneeling on Floyd's neck and Kaepernick kneeling on the sideline during the national anthem. In writing, Do you understand now? or is it still blurred to you uh, let me see here colin kaepernick on thursday responded to protest in the city he tweeted when civil when civility leads to death revolting is the only logic reaction the cries for peace will rain down and when they do they will land on deaf ears because your violence has brought this resistance we have the right to fight back amen brother Uh, What Stephen Curry said on Instagram, George has a family. George didn't deserve to die. George pleaded for help and was just straight up ignored, which speaks loud and clear that his life, that his black life didn't matter. George was murdered. George wasn't human to that cop that slowly and purposely took away his life. Now, J.J. Watts, you see, so for the most part, hey, look, man, you know, those who feel that as far as the um, who feel that they have a responsibility especially from our community to go ahead and say something about that such leaders as Stephen Curry who has always stepped up in these times and given his thoughts and opinions the same thing with LeBron James who's mainly the leader of the pack when it comes to this type of stuff still waiting to see what Kevin Durant's going to be saying about this there's some others Barack Obama my, still my president chimed in with this so you know those in the community who has some presence who has some following who has some influence have done what they needed to do in terms of this, uh, voicing their displeasure and somehow giving the community their thoughts and feelings about exactly what happened. But on the other side of the tracks, now um, on the other side of town, J.J. Watts had made his feeling felt also.
3: I've seen the video, and I think it's disgusting. Uh, I think that there's no explanation for it. I mean, to me, it doesn't make any sense. I just don't see how... A man in handcuffs on the ground who is clearly detained and clearly saying in distress i don't understand how that situation can't be remedied in a way that doesn't end in his death um i think it's i think that it needs to be addressed strongly obviously um and i think i just i don't see how that situation makes any sense whatsoever and i think it's anybody who saw the video anybody who I don't know how you can defend it. I mean, it's it's terrible. It's extremely difficult to watch. And, I mean, it's upsetting. And so I don't uh, – I just – I don't understand it.
0: Thank you, JJ. Call the video disgusting and express confusion and disappointment. Thank you very much for speaking on about that. My new favorite hockey player is Canadian-born from Vancouver, by the way, is Canadian-born Evander Kane of the San Jose Sharks. He was asked on Get Up on ESPN – Uh, What was the most difficult thing he felt watching the video and the black and the lack of support of other prominent players who are not black? This is the, this is the comments that Mr. King gave on the program.
3: Well, uh, first and foremost, obviously uh, an innocent man um, dying uh, for no good reason. Um, You know, it's, it's really disappointing to see this continuing on in the world we live in today in 2020 and, um, you know, in just the fashion that he was murdered. Uh, people watching, people shouting to help that man out. Um, him, you know, telling the officer, I can't breathe. Uh, the cop in front of, uh, in front of that incident, um, pushing people back and not doing anything about it, just, it's infuriating. You know, we need, we need so many more athletes that don't look like me speaking out about this, having the same amount of outrage that I have inside and 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 using that to voice their opinion, to voice their frustration, because that's the only way it's gonna change. We've been outraged for hundreds of years and and, and nothing's changed. Uh, you know, it's time for guys like you know, Tom Brady and Sidney Crosby and 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 those type of figures to speak up about what is right and, and, and clearly in this case what is unbelievably wrong because that's the only way we're gonna actually create that unified Anger to create that necessary change, especially when you talk about systematic
0: racism. I've said this before, and I've said, and and I'll say it again. You know, when something like this happens, especially when we're talking about you know a race situation when it's between white and blacks, we 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 always do the same thing. Now, me, I don't give a fuck. I'll tell what I'll tell white folks my thoughts and feelings about what I feel and. Even if they disagree, even if they, you know, throw the white privilege out at me, I'll, I'll keep going, I'll keep going, I'll keep going, I'll keep going. I don't sugarcoat anything. I, I'm, I'm one of the few black folks who will try to have the patience and the understanding. You try to relay exactly what we're thinking and what we're feeling. It is up to you to either take it or ignore it. It's either up to you to ignore your white privilege and learn something or wrap yourself around your white privilege and feel that, no, that's really not the case because after all, that's never really happened to me, or no, because I listen to Larry Elder and I listen to Candace Owens and I listen to Diamond and Silk and I listen to Paris Denard and I listen to all these other Tombos and Sams and Coons from the uh, black community who are nothing more than puppets, who are nothing more than grifters for the white folks to sit there and say, well, you know, black folks kill other black folks, and they, you know, this, that, and the other, and, you know, black folks kill white cops too, and this, that, and the other, so, you know, we have a situation, because Kane was sitting there talking about, look, we need more people who don't look like me, basically, we need white folks to go back to their community, and relay the message to say, you know, black folks ain't bullshitting about this, Black folks, they ain't playing the race card, which is the stupidest thing that I've ever heard. How the fuck can we be enslaved for 400 years and treated like second-class citizens and go through the bullshit that we go through on a day-to-day basis just because of our skin color, and we're the ones that's up there playing the race card? Really? Wow. Okay. But basically, what he's saying, and I've been saying, saying this for, I don't know, going on maybe 15, 20, 20-plus 20 years, is the fact that, White folks need to go back to their communities, white folks of substance, white folks in terms of, you know, I'll listen to you, I'll follow you and say, hey, look, man, these people ain't bullshitting. This this is real. I mean, they ain't whining, they ain't crying, they ain't this, that, and the other. This is shit, this shit is real and it's going down. So you need to listen. You need to respect what they're saying. You need to let them know that, yes, we hear you and that we believe in you because this shit is for real. That's what Evander Kane is doing. He's saying, hey, you know, Tom Brady, Sidney Crosby, other white athletes of, of purpose, any, uh, other, any other white athletes of substance, of influence, go back to your community because they'll listen to you, especially coming from the age group that I'm in and maybe the before that, the one age group before that. They'll listen to you. More white folks are going to listen to the plight of black America if Tom Brady, they'll believe more of the plight of what black America is going through if Tom Brady says it more than LeBron James, unfortunately, more than any other black athletes, someone like a Tom Brady, someone like a Peyton Manning, someone of that stature in the white community, they'll white folks will believe them more than they'll believe the folks who are actually going through it. Oh, no, no, no. Come on, Tom. You know them black folks. Yeah, you know, it ain't that bad. Oh, it's really that bad? Oh, shit. Oh, really? You, it really is? I thought LeBron you know how LeBron James is, is. This guy who's just, you know, he wants to be better than Jordan, so he wants that media attention, and, you know, he's trying to build a following, so what he's really trying to say, you know, he's a puppeteer for Nike, so he's just kind of moving their agenda. So he's just crying wolf, and he's just, you know, he's just exploiting things, and he's just, you know, really, for real? So he really isn't bullshitting? Tom Brady, so what you're telling me is that LeBron James, when he talks about these things, Steph Curry, when he talks about these things, uh, Michael Bennett, the Bennett brothers, when they talk about these things, Adam Jones, the baseball player, former baseball player for the Baltimore Orioles, when he speaks about these things that are going on in the community, you mean they're actually telling the truth? You mean they're not exaggerating? Oh, shit. Okay. Um, hmm. I didn't know that. What do you mean you didn't know that? Didn't you hear those people? Yeah, I heard them, but I mean, you know, I didn't didn't believe them because after all, I've I've never been stopped by the police. I mean, don't the police stop you because you're doing something wrong? I mean, you know, I mean, where those guys grew up, there's a lot of crime in that area. I mean, you know, those guys are really risking their lives. I mean, if it it was me, I would definitely be, but, but no, really, that stuff is really going on? Oh, shit. Isn't that interesting? That's what Tom Brady and that's what these other white folks can do that black folks can. As I mentioned before, especially around my age group. If you're talking about thirty five to fifty four, maybe you're talking about twenty seven to fifty four, that age group. More more of them folks. And I'm not don't don't go broad brush on me. I'm not saying all. But I'm just saying for a lot, a whole lot of people would believe what's going on in our community more coming out of the voice coming out of the mouth of someone like a tom brady more than a lebron james it's sad it's pathetic it's ridiculous but also it would also give white folks an opportunity to discuss among themselves in terms of because you know white folks ain't going to really talk their stuff to black folks because well you know we're kind of we don't want to be labeled as racist so if we think that you know that they're Black folks are talking about how bad the police are. I've never had a bad instance with the police. Police come down in my community, and it's great. You know, they're wonderful. They're always there to lend a helping hand, and they're they're wonderful. We see them at Starbucks in the morning, and they're great with the kids and all this kind of wonderfulness. I've never really experienced a situation where I wasn't afraid to call the police or the police weren't there to help to protect and serve and better the community. Of course, that community that you're living in is, is, is all white, but, you know, When that argument starts with police brutality, you know, white folks are too nervous to spew their lack of knowledge or their ignorance toward, well, I don't understand what you guys are talking about. None of those things happen in my neighborhood. But then again, you know, in your neighborhood, I mean, isn't crime more rampant? I mean, isn't the situation where you guys are living in the same upper tier neighborhood that that we're in? Aren't there situations where, you know, if you're living in the Hispanic community, isn't there, you know, a situation where, you know, there's a lot of people who live in your household, maybe nieces, maybe nephews, maybe uncles, maybe grandparents who, I hate to say this, but they're really not allowed to be in this country or they're illegal or something like that. I mean, isn't the cops supposed to be just a little bit more aggressive because they're dealing with people who might be a little bit more aggressive or might be a little bit more dangerous than the folks who live in my community. So I can sort of kind of see where, you know, again, if I was a cop and if I was in that environment and if I was in that neighborhood, I wouldn't go down there at night. I wouldn't walk the streets down there at night. Have you seen those people walking down there? Have you seen the type of people that are walking in that neighborhood that are hanging out on the street corner? Have you seen the baggy pants? Have you seen the cornrows? Have you seen the tattoos? Do any of those guys, do any of those people on the block, do they speak English? I mean, they're they're wearing blue. Are they part of a gang? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, white folks with that kind of attitude, it's easier for them to express that to another white person and have that white person say, no, 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 no. no. Let, Let me explain to you what's going down. Let me explain to you really what's going on. But yeah, okay, the the, the crime in that area might be a little bit higher than yours. Yeah, the immediate income might be a little bit lower than yours. Yeah, there might be some folks who might do some things a little bit more than in your area. But still, didn't give the police officers the right to do this. Didn't give the right for police officers to treat them this way. Didn't give the police officers the right to. It's amazing for those who have that attitude, who think that way. It's like, you guys are so close to being where those folks are. Those folks in that neighborhood, you don't know their background. You don't know how they got there. You don't know because of the color of their skin, because where they came from because they before they came to this country, because of the language barriers, because of some other things, the opportunities that they weren't given to be where you are. Very arrogant, very privileged of those who have those type of attitudes. But then again, they're too ashamed. They're too scared. Or it's a matter of, well, you know, they just won't understand. You know, white folks always like to do that, too. You guys, I won't really talk about that. I won't really listen to you because you guys don't understand. It's the white privilege showing uh, through and through again. You guys don't understand. Oh, you guys are just making up excuses. Oh, you guys just need to do this. All you guys, all you guys need to do is just go out and get a job and everything will be fine. Oh, all you guys need to do is just go ahead and try to keep yourselves out of trouble and you guys will be fine. Oh, all, all you guys need to do is stop hanging out on the street corner, pull your pants up and learn some English and you will be fine. You see, that's the attitude, you know, that's what black, that's what white folks want to say in a lot of these conversations with black folks, but they can't. So instead they get around people who look like them. They get around people with the same skin color as them. They get around the same people with the same thoughts and feelings as them. And those people give them the justification to come out and say those things. Yeah, you know what, man? The police officer had a right to do that because, you know, this guy was hanging out on the street corner. Why wasn't he at home taking care of his kids and taking care of the family and and, and out getting a job? Yeah, man, I'm, I think the same way. So it's kind of that connection right there. So because of that, white folks go to one side of the corner in the room and they speak amongst each other, the blind leading the blind. And the black folks feel that, you know what, why am I going to try to go, go over there and try to talk to you about it if you're not going to listen to begin with? Because you have five or six of your buddies who look like you who are going to agree with you. No, man, it's not like that. This is the reason why we can't get where we need to go. Or this is the reason why that we're upset and why we're protesting or why we feel that uh, it's wrong for police to do this, that, and the other in our community. And then when you try to talk to that white man about that, he had four or five of his buddies in the background going, no, nah, man, you're wrong. You're wrong. We're right. You're wrong. We're right. And black folks say, you know what? Fuck it. I'm done. I don't feel <laughs> just, you know what, man? Forget it. Never mind. <laughs> It, look, you don't, you don't understand, you're not trying to understand, you're stuck in your ways, see you later. <laughs> I just, you know, I don't, I don't know what else I can do. You know, when Hispanics try to sit there and try to explain something to folks, well, you know, if you guys didn't come over here illegally, then, you know, you wouldn't have your children being taken away from you. No, man, that's not the case. Yeah, man, that's right, yeah! Yeah, that's right, yeah, that's right! Okay, well, you know, you got your cheering section in the back, you know, cheering you on telling you how right you are, and you're not going to listen to me? A person who's actually going through this is experiencing this? Okay, fine. That's what happens with the majority in this country. And especially when that majority, namely white males, have been at the top of the food chain in this country of importance and all these other things, like forever. So it's, it's ingrained. It's ingrained. So when you have, again, someone like a Tom Brady, when you have someone like a Peyton Manning, when you have somebody like oh I don't know maybe someone like a Tim Tebow, who is highly regarded in his community, as far as being an athlete is concerned, can go back to their neighborhoods and have them try to educate the plight of what's going on, and not educate in terms of you know I'm going to, since I'm you know I'm, I'm going to tell you the black experience no 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 I'm talking about from the aspect of hey look you know when these folks are talking about what's going on in the community. When these folks are actually talking about what's happening in the community and why the community is what it is and the resistance that they have and the thoughts and the feelings that they have, they're not bullshitting. They're not lying. They're not over-exaggerating. They're not whining. They're not scapegoating. I'll say this. The high majority of them are not whining. The high majority of them are not looking for a handout. The high majority of them are not blaming the white man and only the white man and not taking a look at their own shortcomings and failures. The majority of them are just asking, give us a fair chance. The high majority of them will say, you just give me an opportunity, a fair opportunity, and I'll take advantage of it and I'll live with the consequences. That's what we need. Tim Tebow and Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and Sidney Crosby and others. Kirk Cousins for the Minnesota Vikings. How nice would it have been for Kirk Cousins to go on down there and say something in terms of, hey, you know what, the community, this, that, and the other, we need to go ahead and we need to acknowledge about what's going down. You know, how how nice would it have been? Now, Kirk Cousins is hanging out in Orlando right now, getting ready for the season. That's where he makes his off-season home. I think he's staying with his parents and the home that uh, the brand-new mansion that he, he bought for him. But I think Kirk Cousins is hanging out with those guys in the summer. But wouldn't it be nice for Kirk Cousins to come back and really be a leader in terms of saying, hey, you know what, You know, being a part of this um, community, playing for the Minnesota Vikings, great honor, treasure this. I love the city. I love playing in front of you guys. I love playing for you guys. And I'm just here to let everybody know that I'm there for you. Kind of like what Drew Brees did for the community of New Orleans. Now, wouldn't it be nice if Kirk Cousins could have done that? Couldn't it be nice if Mike Trout could have that type of influence? Couldn't have been nice if Michael Phelps tried to do something like that? Couldn't have been nice if Bryce Harper tried to do something like that? Couldn't have been nice if Aaron Rodgers tried to do something like that? They didn't. Or they haven't. Or I haven't heard from them. David Carr did. Carson Wentz did. Miles Leonard did. Steve Kerr did. Joe Burrow. I mean, this man went on Twitter and he was talking about, what did, what did Joe Burrow say? Yeah, he tweeted, the black community needs our help. They have been unhurt for far too long. Open your ears, listen and speak. This isn't politics. This is human rights. I, 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 don't, I don't want Carson Wentz or Miles Leonard or Steve Kerr or Greg Popovich or David Carr or any of these guys, J.J. Watt or any of these guys. I, I, don't, I don't want any of these guys feeling the need that, you know, we're going to be marching. We're going to be marching with you. We're going to take on the same amount of responsibility to work toward this plight to work toward the resolution to your to your uh, problems. We don't need the white guys out there to be leading us in doing this. We, we got this we got this we can take control of this. We, we're, we're, we're in control we're in charge this is our problem in terms of police brutality in our communities and everything. We got this but what you can do what we, what we need your what, what we do need is we need your help in this way. Okay, we don't need you marching, we don't need you throwing bricks and bombs, and we don't need you out there talking about white folks are horrible human beings and they suck and, you know, they're just the worst human beings on earth and I'm ashamed to be white and all these type of things. I, I don't need y'all to be doing that. Don't go over there. I don't want y'all to go out and start marrying a black woman and start getting a house in the black community or anything like that. Y'all don't need to be wearing African robes or anything like that. Don't, don't be doing anything like that. You know, to show us that you're down, to show us that you care, to show us that you're down with the new movement. The best way I think that you can help us is just recognize what we're going through and pass that along to your community. Because once you can give your community the opportunity to see that, you know what, we ain't bullshitting, we ain't lying, we ain't looking for a handout, we ain't playing a race card. We ain't looking for, uh, you know, someone to give us anything. Once those walls have been broken down, then maybe folks from your community, folks from my community, we can get together and we can really get to know each other so we can get to the point to where you can have the relationship. I would love to have black folks and white folks have the same relationship that I have with some of my, my really good white friends. I have about three or four or five really good white friends where they get it. They understand it. They know that when I call them up in a situation like this and I say, you know what, I really don't like white people right now, I, I they're, not, they're, they're not sitting back going, oh my gosh, with all these white people, all this, that, and the other. They, they understand. They understand that, yeah, you know, it's fucked up, it's terrible, it's horrible. Let's sit there, let's talk about it. Not consoling. But it's like, yeah, you know, let's talk about what's going down. Let's talk about what's happening. And we can talk about it. And we can be honest with each other. And we can do it without putting each other down. And we can talk about, we can talk about it being real. You know, that's kind of like what I think ultimately, hopefully in my lifetime, if I live another 25, 30 years on this earth, 35 years on this earth, somewhere around there, Hopefully by the time I take my last breath and I get reunited with my dad and I can go up and see a concert with Otis Redding and listen to Miles Davis and listen to John Coltrane and then catch an NBA game with Wilt Chamberlain and Kobe Bryant and Maurice Stokes and then maybe go over to watch a football game with Johnny Unitas and Sammy Ball and Walter Payton and those guys and you know maybe watch a boxing match between Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier followed by Jack Johnson and uh, Joe Lewis and all those type of things before I go up to heaven and experience that utopia for eternity. While I'm still here, maybe as people, we can get together and have that type of relationship where we can be open, we can be honest, we can work through to a solution together with the roles being defined of how we're going to get there, and we can speak openly and honestly with each other, blacks, whites, Asians, Arabs, Hispanics, Jews, Muslims, Christians, atheists, gays, straight, fat, skinny, beautiful, ugly, whatever it is. Whatever differences that we have, race being the main thing, that hopefully for me in the remaining shit, 25 30 35 years I have left on this earth, that we can get to the point where it's like we can come to the table when something like this happens, we can get together when there's an action of police brutality, whether there's an action of discrimination, whether there's an action of our civil rights being violated, that Blacks, whites, Asians, Americans Can get together at the table and say Let's discuss, let's talk about this Let's organize, let's unite Let's get into our certain spots We can go ahead and do this And it doesn't always have to be When the black community Something happens in the black community It doesn't always have to be When something racist happens Towards our community I would love for the Asians If something happens in their community You see the bullshit that's happening now With the coronavirus And how Asian Americans are being attacked I would love for the Asian-Americans to say, black community, Hispanic community, white community, Jewish community, gay community, we need your help. We have idiots from all parts of your neighborhoods. It's not just white folks who are sitting up there um, um, doing, you know, uh, causing trouble for the Asian-Americans. Uh, most of them are white, but I'm not quite sure they're getting it from Hispanics, they're getting it from blacks, they're getting it from all over. Hey, we need to get together. I need y'all. I need y'all from all the communities. Let's get together. Let's see what we can do to get to fight this. Let's see what we can do to ed- educate our ignorant folks from each community to say no, 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 no. The coronavirus. I did not bring over the coronavirus. No, I'm not responsible for the coronavirus just because I'm Asian. <laughs> wow, there's some dumb people in this world. So. As I mentioned before, Hispanics, Hispanics should be able to call folks from the black community, from the Jewish community, from the gay community, from the lesbian community, from the, the, the Christian community or whatever. They need to get there. We should be able to come to the table and say, OK, what are we going to do about this immigration problem? What are we going to do about the situation concerning the Hispanic community? What can we do? Let's be honest. Let's be frank. Let's get together. Let's commence in brotherhood, sisterhood, whateverhood in our hood and get together and fix this problem. That's what we need to do. And how about this? When white folks need some help, well, they call on us already, you know, so whatever. (laughs) But, uh, you know, it's all about brotherhood. It's all about unity. It's all about sisterhood. It's all about us coming together in love and unity, knowing our roles, knowing what we need to do, knowing the responsibilities that we have to help each other's communities, to help the human race. That's what we need to do, baby. Come on, we can do this. We can do this. And hopefully, maybe, possibly, praying, pleading, begging, that the next time something like a George Floyd happens, which is going to happen, that hopefully we can move to a situation where, instead of thinking about rioting and doing the extreme that hopefully we can get folks from all the communities to come on down and to make sure that the asshole who did this, whether he's Hispanic, whether he's white, whether he's black, whether he's whatever, is taken to justice swiftly. That justice is served. That's what we need, man. That's exactly what we need. And as Evander King said, as I wrap this up in terms of what Evander King said in terms of other folks from other communities going back and talking about the plight that black folks are going to, that's exactly what he was talking about. Tim Tebow would be awesome. Tim Tebow's up here. Isn't Tim Tebow a man of God and all this kind of stuff? Isn't Tim Tebow Mr. Super Religious? Isn't Tim Tebow's parents, weren't they uh, those who went around and spread the word and tried to do good deeds? Isn't Tim Tebow, um, you know, in the evangelical set, isn't he one of these guys who can walk on water and he's awesome and he's wonderful? Remember that nonsense that the evangelicals were spewing about the only reason why Tim Tebow doesn't have a job right now is because of his religious beliefs and how... How uh, honest he is in terms of expressing that he's a Christian, and how unabashed he is to let people know that he's a Christian. And because of that, the NFL does it frowns upon that. So somehow, some way, they're keeping Tim Tebow out of the league, despite the fact that he can't throw, despite the fact that he can't read defenses, despite, despite the fact that in no way, shape, or form that he had the op- that he had the ability to play quarterback despite opportunities with the Jets, despite opportunities with the Patriots, despite opportunities with the Broncos. All of those things evangelicals are still sitting around talking about how he was screwed by the NFL because of his his ability or his reasons to go ahead and express that he's a Christian. Oh man. So, you know, Tim Tebow would have been awesome. Just think of the impact Tim Tebow could have if he could talk about this situation to his community. Same thing with Tom Brady, same thing with Peyton Manning, same thing with Ron, uh, Aaron Rodgers. It'd be nice, it'd be nice. You know who's notably absent from all of this, but it's really not surprising when we're talking about folks who have some stature, folks who are public figures, folks who have some influence, folks who have the ability to maybe go ahead and make an impact, to make a change, maybe not. For an entire community, but maybe one person, two person, three person, four. You know who are you know once again who is missing the opportunity, ducking the opportunity? Two people. Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods. Have you heard anything from Tiger Woods? Now I know black folks right now are rolling their eyes and laughing and scoffing and like, yeah, sure, whatever. I'm I'm yeah, I'm I'm so shocked that I didn't hear anything about it from Tiger Woods. Wow, that is so surprising. I cannot believe that. Same thing with Michael Jordan. What? Are you trying to tell me that Michael Jordan, when it comes to police brutality in this situation, the death of George Floyd, that Michael Jordan hasn't said anything, that he hasn't made a statement concerning this matter, that he's too busy in the NBA with the owners trying to start the season, that he just can't have somebody on his team or his brother or somebody from Michael Jordan Inc. to go ahead and say, hey, you know what? Shit sucks down there in Minnesota. What happened was terrible. Police brutality is bad. Hopefully justice will prevail. Let's all love each other and get along. Too bad, too sad. Wow. I guess Jordan is just way too busy with his basketball situation being the owner of the Charlotte Bobcats to go ahead and to say something like that. I guess Tiger Woods, it's just a little bit, I mean, you know, he's probably still recovering from playing golf with Phil Nicholson and Peyton Manning and Tom Brady for him to once again have somebody who he's paying I'm quite sure high five, low six figures to go ahead and type out a press release or go on a Twitter account or do something in terms of statement Statement from Tiger Woods. We are so sorry about what happened. This is wrong. This is terrible. But right now we need peace. Right now we need, need unity. Right now we just need to wait to see what's happening. Just be calm. Love you all. Shit could take about 20 seconds. But no, I guess MJ and Tiger are just way too... Busy for that. I mean, you know, Jordan is already coming off five weeks and 10 hours worth of documentary talking about how great he is, talking about how wonderful he is, talking about what a superstar he is, talking about what a global icon he is, talking about how Republicans don't sell sneakers, how that was just off the cuff and taken out of context. You know, so, you know, I mean, you don't, you don't want to hurt. You, you know, Jordan definitely can't go ahead and make a statement about that, can he? But I know who can, I know who should. I know who can help out the team. I know who can help out those. Canelo Alvarez, go to your community. Speak about what's happening. You community should know. Y'all are going through the same thing that we're going through for the most part. You know, um, Drew Brees, Bryce Harper, Aaron Rodgers, Mike Trout, uh, Michael Phelps. Go ahead, do us a favor. Go back into your community and see what we can do to start bridging the races, so we can have unity, harmony, and ultimately understanding and togetherness. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Now, let's get into some NBA basketball. Now, let's talk about some sports, baby. I am rip, roaring, and ready to go. Update on when the NBA season will begin. This is what NBA insider N- Agent Wojnowski said on SportsCenter on Friday about information from the NBA Board of Governors meeting and exactly when training camps will begin. Rude.
4: There's an an increased sense among the owners that ultimately they're going to let Adam Silver decide, along with the Players Association, uh, the the return to play proposal uh, that he thinks makes the most sense, and that they will line up behind him. And I, that's the next step now uh, for the league and for Adam Silver. Uh, they they expect to have a decision sometime next week, and. You know, the one proposal that I think has gained momentum among teams and owners and and more people are comfortable with, the 22 22 teams returning, a play-in tournament, teams potentially from the East and West getting an opportunity uh, to jump up into an eight seed. The teams are, once they've made a decision on the format and they know what teams are coming back, then they'll tell those teams for their players to start returning to their cities. Now, one conversation that's still going on between the league uh players association and the teams, will they allow teams to have full practice sessions in their cities or will it just be individual type work and then they'll go to Orlando and start training camp because teams, they want to get these players back in condition and ready preventing injury and, and certainly having uh, the best chance they can at a high quality of play.
0: So the owners are going to put their trust in Commissioner Adam Silver and the NBAPA and return the play proposal that they stand behind. Uh, The decision on when to get back to playing again should be made sometime this week. I hear that uh, it's going to be like the uh, approximation date is like somewhere like July 31st or something like that. The interesting note from the audio, though, the owners agreeing on the 22 teams returning. A play-in tournament and team from both conferences having an opportunity to make the playoffs. Like once, once the teams who are to resume playing, once they decide on the teams that are going to be coming back to Orlando, they're going to notify them and have them get ready for training camp. The games are going to be played at the ESPN Wide World of Sports Complex in Orlando. So you're speaking about the 22 team, either 20 or 22. But they're speaking mainly. It seems that 22 might be in the lead right now for the number of teams that are coming back to play. If you think about it, <clears throat> the 16 playoff teams right now are the <coughs> excuse me are the Los Angeles Lakers, the Clippers, Milwaukee Bucks, Toronto, Boston, Denver, Utah, Oklahoma City Thunder, the Houston Rockets, Miami, Indiana, Philadelphia, Brooklyn, Brooklyn. Dallas, Memphis, and Orlando. And the remaining six teams that would compete for a playoff spot would be Phoenix, the Washington Wizards, the Sacramento Kings, San Antonio Spurs, the New Orleans Pelicans, and the Portland Trailblazers. So those who didn't make the cut would have been the Atlanta Falcons. Not only the Atlanta Falcons, but also the Atlanta Hawks. Their football team is so bad that they even wouldn't make the NFL playoffs this year or the NBA playoffs. So the Atlanta Hawks the New York Knicks, the Cleveland Cavaliers, Golden State Warriors, Minnesota, Chicago, Charlotte, and Detroit. So my thoughts about, my thing was initially, initially, that too, about keeping the season intact, I was trying to make it as close to normal as possible, which is the reason why I said, or I thought, or I believed, or it was up to me with the limited knowledge that I had from those who actually were doing this stuff was, my idea would have been, to have all 30 teams come back for training camp for a four-month period in mid-June. And I would have the Western Conference teams play their games at the MGM Grand in Vegas and have them occupy that facility. And I would have the Eastern Conference teams play at the site where all the games are going to be taking place right now in Orlando. So I would have the teams finish out the regular season games. I know most teams had around 17 games remaining. San Antonio had 19 when the season ended, I would try to get as close to 82 games as humanly possible. I would—it's all about supply and demand. My thing would be that, man, I sure hope baseball's not coming back, and with hockey, I sure hope—and plus it's hockey anyway—with the NBA, so it's kind of like this is my opportunity for the league to supply the consumer with as much basketball as I could, hoping that the NBA would be the only season going when we got back to playing before football commenced, if football is going to be starting uh, in September. So that would be my deal, which which would be the reason for me to have all 30 teams come back. Playing out the entire season for teams down to playoff contention, even if you're sitting there talking about the Knicks and the Hawks, and though the Golden State Warriors, those who have no chance of coming back, when they come back to uh, make the playoffs, I know people are saying, well, why in the world would they want to come back, live in basically a bubble, and play games that are absolutely meaningless? Because, as Jackie McMullen said when she was talking to a couple of coaches and was talking about on Brian Windhorse's podcast along with uh, Tim McMahon, um, the fact that, you know what, if you just tell those teams, fuck it, don't come back, You're going to be sitting there in a situation where if the league resumes in July, the playoffs are over in the fall, and then they start basketball for the 2020-2021 season in, say, for instance, December. You're talking about a situation where you have these teams who haven't been playing basketball together since March, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December. You're looking at nine to ten months where these guys haven't played together and you're taking a look at some of these teams who are out of playoff contention, they're saying, wait a minute, that's far too long. We don't know if there's going to be any type of summer league which is going to be pushed to the fall league when the NBA season is over. We don't know if there's going to be, I guess depending upon when the draft is going to be, if they're going to have a draft for the NBA in September, are you going to start having that winter league, fall league, or whatever, for, uh, for that situation in October? The games and the season's going to be starting in December. So you're taking a look at these coaches for these teams with these young players, and they say, wait a minute, nine to ten months? That's a little bit too long for us not to be together and playing basketball. And you could talk about it being beneficial for teams like Cleveland and Atlanta and New York and Detroit to keep playing, even though they are out of the playoffs the fact that you can go and get some, still get some run for guys like R.J. Barrett and Trey Young and Darius Garland and Kevin Knox and Colin Sexton and Kevin Porter Jr. and Mitchell Robertson and Jerry Culliver and John Collins, even though those guys who are playing for these teams who are out of playoff contentions, they still have the opportunity to continue to play and be coached by their team. And not be coached, unlike Summer League, where you have the assistant coaches and everything, and you're playing with guys who are going to be free agents and probably aren't going to be making the club. If these guys come back, if these teams who are not in any type of playoff contention at all, if these guys come back to play, you can still keep them in the same positions and the same responsibilities with the same coaching staff, the same language, same terminology, same uh, chemistry, as they would with the regular teammates. So... I think it would be very beneficial for these teams who aren't in playoff contention to come back. Now, you could take a look. When I talked about supply and demand, that the league could come back. They might have the opportunity to be the only sport at that time who's playing live sports that, you know, you could go ahead and supply and demand. The only question then I would have was would be, okay, even though we might be the only sport in town, even though we might be the only live events in town where people can watch on a semi-regular basis, How many people still under those circumstances are going to be motivated to watch Cleveland versus Chicago, New York versus Atlanta, Phoenix versus Minnesota, Detroit versus Charlotte, Golden State versus Minnesota? Even if these are the only live sporting events in town, how many people are still going to be like, nah, that's okay. Because when the league comes back, you know that the play is going to be sloppy. Because we don't know the condition of these guys. We don't know a Luka Doncic, how he's been keeping in shape, if he's been keeping in shape. We don't know about Joel Embiid, who has always come to camp a little bit out of shape. We don't know about someone like a Nikola Jokic for the, for the Denver Nuggets, who took half the season to round himself into shape. We don't know of a player who, because of the quarantine, hasn't been able to to go ahead and train? Hasn't been able to go ahead and pick up a basketball? Hasn't been able to keep himself in good enough shape to where he comes back, he might be 5, 10, 15 pounds overweight, uh, overweight, and he needs that four-week or that three-week or that two-week training camp once everybody commences back to resume play. He might need that just to get himself back in condition. You're not going to be at the same level as far as the basketball being played. You're not going to be at the same level that many people expect basketball to be played normally during this time period. So the basketball, whether you're talking about the Lakers or the Clippers or the Pacers or the Celtics or the Bucks or whatever, the basketball is going to be for the first couple of games, maybe the first week or two, is going to be underwhelming. It's going to be sloppy. And the average sports fan who isn't a diehard basketball junkie like myself, who might not have the yearning to watch any type of live sports you throw out there, they might take a look at that for five minutes and say, yeah, you know what, screw it. I'm I'm, going to binge watch something on Netflix or I'm going to continue to watch movies or I'm going to go ahead and keep doing my walks or doing some reading or some other activities, especially now that we have some of the country opening up. Instead, I'm going to go to the gym. Instead, I'm going to go get a bite to eat and hang out at a restaurant or maybe do some other things. I don't need the... Because the world... Because this country is opening up, I don't need to be stuck in a house somewhere. I've got other options now to do. So, you know what? Golden State versus Minnesota, not really moving me, especially if you're going to have a Golden State team that's not going to have Steph Curry out on the court, not going to have Draymond Green now on the court, not going to have Klay Thompson out on the court, especially playing against a Minnesota team that's not going to have Carl Anthony Towns out there on the court. No, thank you. Really don't care about watching Zach Levine go up against Darius Garland. We're just speaking about Chicago playing Cleveland and a environment where there's gonna be no fans and a foreign environment for all of these teams. That's another thing that people are forgetting, you know, as far as the quality of play is concerned and how we can start handicapping when these guys do come back. Are the Bucks gonna be resumed as the favorites to be the to win the NBA championship along with the Los Angeles Lakers and the Los Angeles Clippers? We don't know. We don't know. Giannis Adena we don't know what type of shape he's going to be in. We don't know exactly what he's been doing during this, during this pandemic where he hasn't been able to play basketball. Has he been working out? Has he been shooting? Has he been working? Jason Tatum, same thing with the Boston Celtics and Jalen Brown. Same thing with the players on the Miami Heat. Same thing with the players on the the, uh, Toronto Raptors. Same thing with the players on the Denver Nuggets. Same thing with the players on the uh, Dallas Mavericks. Same thing with the situation with the Philadelphia 76ers. Joel Embiid, what type of shape is he going to be in? Ben Simmons, is he going to be fully recovered from the knee injury or back injury that he had, which caused him to miss games? Are the Brooklyn Nets going to risk bringing back Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving for a playoff push? We don't know. We have no idea. And you also have to recognize, because when they start talking about this 22 teams having six, having a chance for a playoff, according to um, Ramona Shelburne of ESPN, that the teams that are within six games of a playoff spot would be invited to compete in the regular season games and then play in a play-in tournament for the final playoff spot. And according to Brian windhorse the league is – Going to try to do everything that they can to make sure that LeBron James, not not, not LeBron James, you would think that the NBA would try to do everything humanly possible to have LeBron James set him up for a nice little playoff run uh, to get him his fourth championship. He's the biggest name of the sport right now, but the league is invested not in LeBron James getting into the playoffs, but another player. Windhorse, could you please tell my man and my lady? who that player is. So
5: one of the things I've been hearing as I've talked to people in the league is the league is going to set up this playoff plan to make sure Zion Williamson is involved. Now, I have to tell you, Greeny, that paranoia is at the top of the list with anything in the NBA. This is the course of my... 18 years covering the league, they're, they're always paranoid about any, everything. The league is screwing me and they're helping that guy. Um, and in this case, you know, there's a number of different reasons why the, the league would want to have 20 or 24 teams, a number of different reasons to get extra games. But most of those scenarios include making sure that, well, having Zion Williamson in the postseason. And I, I think it's important to point out, this is not just the teams, you know, in seventh or eighth place. If you look at the Western Conference, the difference between the number four seed Utah Jazz and the number seven seed Dallas Mavericks is one victory. They're very tightly packed, too. And it's not just a matter of getting in. They don't want to have to win their way back in after they've played. They felt like they played played 65 games to get in position. And when you look at some of these proposals, it basically involves adding extra West teams and making sure the 10th place, or including at least the 10th place New Orleans Pelicans. And my feeling on this, I just laugh. Number one, I want to see Zion Williamson. So I just say, you know, whatever. I'd like to see it. Number two, like... You hear all the time, oh, they're they're taking care of the big markets, they're taking they want to take care of the Lakers, they want to take care of the Knicks. This is an accusation or a concern at least, that they want to take care of the New Orleans Pelicans. That tells you, you know, where the league is in terms of parenting. Zion!
0: Zion Zion Zion. The league is doing everything that it can to have Zion Williamson in the playoffs, and the owners, as Winhor said, always talking about screwing. I remember when Pat Riley with a coach for the Miami Heat, and they were terrible. I think this is the year that um, – this was the year before they got uh, Dwayne Wade, and he was the coach, and um, they were terrible. And I remember after one of the losses, Pat Riley got in front of the cameras at the press conference, and they were like, you know what the league says? We suck. And you know what the league says? They say, fuck them. That's what their attitude is for us. Fuck them. Just... So there's always been this fuck them as far as the league – that some of the franchises, some of the owners, some of the league officials, they feel that they're being screwed and this, that, and the other. Maybe they're not in the right market. Maybe they don't have the right team. Maybe the owner and the commissioner don't see eye to eye or whatever the reason. There's always some type of paranoia in terms of what Windhorse was talking about as he was talking about covering the NBA for 18 years, and he's done a very good job of doing it. But uh, he said that, you know what, screw it. You know what? For those who are sitting there talking about, oh, they're screwing up, They're trying to get this person in. They're trying to get this team in. Well, you are correct, sir. (laughs) You are correct, league official. You are correct, Mr. Owner. We are going to do everything that we can to get Zion in the playoffs and get him on television as much as possible. Not Kawhi. Not LeBron. Not AD. Not Luka. Not Giannis. Zion Williamson. Interesting. Very, very interesting. It kind of like I have to ask the question, okay, so what type of shape is Zion going to be in? Because I remember when the play was suspended because of the uh, virus in March, Zion was over, well, not, he wasn't overrated, but he was overweight, and he was carrying around that knee, uh, you know, that had that leg brace on. So now with the months that he's had to recover at least from the knee injury, are we speaking about a guy who has the ability to shed the 10 to 15 pounds that he had that, that that he didn't need to have when he was playing to uh, come back with the explosiveness and the ability to have that wow factor that he showed when he was playing with duke in his spurts when he was playing with the new orleans pelicans it'll be it'll be interesting to see also from the audio Windhorse was talking about the team from the western conference how close they are in the standings. you know the difference between the dallas mavericks and the utah Jazz, when you're speaking about a one-game difference between the 7th-place team and the 4th-place team is going to make things very interesting also. Because, again, these teams who are above the New Orleans Pelicans who are currently in 10th place, they're sitting up there going, okay, um, you know that we're paranoid to begin with. You know we're one of these conspiracy conspiracy theorists people. Are y'all going to try to do anything? Because right now, you know, we're sitting in 7th place. The Memphis Grizzlies right now have the 8th seed as of right now. Are y'all going to try to do anything – to make sure that the New Orleans Pelicans and Zion get into the playoffs at our expense, that if, when you take a look at the landscape and you take a look at someone like the Utah Jazz, really don't have any sexy names, really don't have anything that would draw uh, a, a audience in outside of Salt Lake City, Utah, and the surrounding communities, that, you know, we can sacrifice the Utah Jazz and bring in, the New Orleans Pelicans, maybe same thing with the Memphis Grizzlies, maybe same thing with the Portland Trail Blazers who are fighting for the playoff spot, maybe the same thing with the San Antonio Spurs, maybe the same thing with the Houston Rockets. So these teams above New Orleans are concerned because it's the league who have expressed a need, a yearning to get Zion and the Pelicans in the playoffs. If that need and that yearn and that burn to get Zion and the Pelicans in the playoffs going to come at our expense for a team that's already in the playoffs. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. It'll see you. Me, personally, I would love to see Zion in the playoffs. But before I go that route, let me see what he looks like in the three or four games. Coming back, let's see what type of shape Zion is in. because People are always sitting there talking about Zion, 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 Zion. Zion, I understand that. But also, you know what? Alvin Gentry coaches a very entertaining style of ball i like the way that um, the lonzo ball was playing i like the way that um, brandon ingram was playing i like the way that drew holiday was playing that's a fun team to watch so it'll be interesting if they can get into a playoffs. and these teams like the pelicans do come back and they do get their sea legs in terms of they're playing together and getting back in the basketball shape you can run you can jog you can lift weights you can play pickup games. You can have simulated practices. You can do all of those things. Nothing is like playing in a basketball game. So you're going to go through training camp and all those things. It's going to take two to three to four or five games for these teams to really get their sea legs in terms of playing in a NBA basketball game back. Let's see what happens. Let's see what Zion and the Pelicans look like when they come, when they come back and they get into that groove after a couple of games to see if, yeah sacrificing the Utah Jazz. Yeah, sacrificing the chances of the Sacramento Kings and the Phoenix Suns and the San Antonio Spurs and the, and, the, and the Memphis Grizzlies and the Portland Trail Blazers. Yeah, the way Zion is looking for the healthiness of the league, for the attention of the league, for the amount of eyeballs that can be placed in the league. It's going to be Zion, not Quinn Snyder, not Damian Lillard, not DeMar DeRozan, not Greg Popovich, not DeAndre Fox, none of those guys. Let's see what we can do to get the Pelicans and Zion in the playoffs. I think that will be an interesting look at the season winds down once the NBA commences, hopefully, praying, pleading sometime later on in July
1: salaries and savings in this world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand in mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. He loves me.
0: Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host Wendell Wallace, feeling good, looking good, sounding good, hopefully you're doing the same thing, tell the female that you love her please, do it for me, from a guy who's single, from a guy who doesn't have any kids, from a guy who's been stuck inside because of this pandemic, or a guy who doesn't have a female to cuddle with, to snuggle with, to tell his deepest, darkest, innermost thoughts to, please do me a favor, do not take your woman for granted. And please, ladies, do not take your man for granted. You need him more than ever. He needs you more than ever. Y'all need each other more than ever. Be there for your kids. Be there for your children. Be there for your grandkids. Be there for your friends. Be there for that side piece. Be there for someone that you care about. Tonight's gonna be a great night. Wonderful outside, beautiful night here in the desert. And I'm quite sure the same thing. Instead of rioting, Instead of looting, instead of causing mayhem, Saturday night, spend it with your loved ones. Snuggle, kiss, hug, make love. Do what you need to do. Watch a movie. You know what I'm saying? Relax. Turn on Netflix. Do something in terms of what your lady friend, your guide friend. Do something because tonight I'm not going to have that opportunity. Tonight, I'm going to turn on some Netflix after this UFC card is over and I see what Tyron Woodley is going to do and his comeback since losing the belt to uh, Kamaru Usman. So after that is over, I'm going to get me a pizza and I'm going to turn on Prime Video and I'm going to watch uh, this. Uh, I'm going to watch that one show one more time where uh, Greg mcelroy not Greg mcelroy he's the former quarterback of Alabama, but... Uh, The uh, Skidmore, Missouri, where them folks went out there and shot the the town bully years and years and years ago. You know, you speak about rioting and looting, right? Right? You talk about, you know, what's justified and all this type of stuff. This guy, if you read the story, if you heard the story, I saw it on Bill Curtis's uh, American Justice, you know, decades and decades ago, but um, very interesting story about this guy, the town bully. He just bullied everybody. He raped the women. He killed people in that town, and he was just a piece of shit. He was an absolute piece of shit. So his lawyer kept getting him out of prison. He never faced any jail time, no matter what he did, no matter how many laws he broke, no matter how many many people he terrorized, there was always a way that he could weasel his way out of getting due justice. So the town, the small town in Missouri, finally said, I've had enough. I've had fucking enough. So when Ken McElroy, boom! So when Ken McElroy came back into town, fat, sorry, arrogant self, all cool and calm with his, you know, 15, 14, 13, 16 year old wife at the time, married or underage, that statutory rape. But again, he got away with everything in that town. So when he came walking into town after, um, after, uh, I think he murdered somebody and you know, the, um, lawyer was like delay, 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 delay. So he came back into town and he was like, you know, I'm untouchable. You can't touch me. I'm still going to make your lives a living hell. I'm still going to rule this town. I'm still going to bring terror to this town. I'm still going to bring mayhem to this town. I'm going to make your lives a living hell. Finally, the townspeople said, oh, yeah, fuck you. So a bunch of guys got their shotguns. McElroy was like, okay, I'm going to be leaving the pub now. I'm going to be getting in the car with my wife and, uh, Hmm, seems things seem to be a little bit different. And when he got into that that truck of his, them folks pointed their shotguns, boom, 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 boom. And that was the end of Ken McElroy died right in the middle of the town. And when the Missouri folks from the FBI and all the other folks from of town came down to, you know, investigate what happened, everybody was like, I don't know. who shot Ken McElroy? I don't know. I don't know. I had no idea. Wasn't down there. Didn't see anything. Yeah, when he got shot, I was, oh, yeah, I was down there. I was over here. I was over there. I was anywhere except there. Oh, yeah, my back was turned. A bug was in my eyes, so I really couldn't get a good look to see exactly who shot him. Oh, yeah, I was, I heard the noise, and it hurt my ears, and by the time I, you know, got myself together, everybody was gone, and he was out there dead. I don't know. Who knows? Don't know what happened. Oh, well. So, of course, that was like, well, did that cast a... Bad omen on the town. The town of Skidmore, Missouri. Because, you know, basically it was a, you know, you know I hate to say it, but basically it was a very poor, um, very poor white, it was a white ghetto down there. No one cared about Skidmore, Missouri. Nothing good ever came out of Skidmore, Missouri. For those who were born in Skidmore, Skidmore Missouri, their goal, their plan was to leave Skidmore, Missouri. So it was like, ooh, I wonder if killing Ken McElroy... And the fact that no one owed up to, the, the death was never solved. The murder was never solved. I mean, the folks who did that shooting back in the early 1980s, they're long gone. They're dead by now. So there there is no justice for Ken McElroy in terms of finding out exactly who killed who killed him. Because the people who knew or the people who did it are either dead, have dementia, or they're dead. So it's like, you know, they, their lips were zipped. So, it's just a matter of, you know what, you push people in certain directions, you push people in certain ways. Again, do I justify the murdering of Ken McElroy? No. But do I understand why those people killed Ken McElroy? Yes. Same thing with the looting and the rioting. Boom! The connection is made. Wendell's World of Sports. Back to sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, a prime video. Check that out. That was an awesome docuseries awesome docuseries, because a couple of other bad things happened in Skidmore, you know, some some husband beat the shit out of his wife for years and finally killed her. A kid met, went missing and has never been found, has never been located. They know that he's dead, they just can't find the body, but, you know, he went missing, and then this horrific murder happened where this woman was murdered, Lisa Montgomery, this woman came down, murdered this woman in Skidmore, who was pregnant, cut out the fetus took it, and then claimed that it was her baby. Yeah, only in America this shit happens, huh? Only in middle America and Florida where this shit like this can happen, right? Only white folks act like that. Just kidding. But, yeah, so it was like, so all of these things that happened, it was that Ken McElroy, the karma of Ken McElroy coming back to haunt Skidmore. No, it was just a white ghetto town with a couple of knuckleheads, and that shit happened. What the fuck are you going to do? had nothing to do with Ken McElroy. What those people did, they needed to do. They did it. And uh, there you go. There you go. All right, all right. Will you knock it off? I'm getting back to sports. Jeez. All right. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, yeah, man. Talking about the NBA resuming the season. Questions about the fear and the unknown. That's what I've heard a lot of. I mean, they're bringing up all these scenarios, right? Well, what happens if this happens? What happens if this guy comes down to the coronavirus? What happens during the NBA finals and Giannis and LeBron James get the coronavirus after game six? What's going to happen if a coach gets the virus? What's going to happen if an employee gets the virus? What happens if a uh, the referee gets the virus? I mean, all of this what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if. The situation is like you, you deal with it. Stop talking about what ifs. Something is going to happen. Now, heaven stays alive. I sure hope it doesn't. But in a situation like this, there's a halfway decent chance that there might be a player, there might be a trainer, there might be a ball boy, there might be an employee, there might be somewhere within that that, that, that space of what the NBA is going to be doing in Florida where there might be an opportunity, a decent opportunity, where somebody might come down with the coronavirus. When that happens, you deal with it. Well, are you going to shut down the season? Let's let's wait until that happens. All right? Put a plan in place in terms of, you know, what you're going to do, and then go for it. Go for it, man. We need basketball. I need basketball. I want to see basketball. The players want to play basketball. So stop talking about the worst-case scenarios, and let's just get it started. I'm, I'm interested to see what the quality of play is going to be like. I'm interested to see exactly who has been affected by the, uh, the, the, the layoff. That's what I'm interested in, in dealing with. Because everybody just goes back to assume that these teams are going to pick up right where they left off. We don't know that. I think teams with experienced players have a better chance of succeeding rather than players who are young. So, I take a look at a team like the Los Angeles Lakers, which have LeBron and AD and Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee and Danny Green and Jared Dudley and Avery Bradley and Marquis Morris and Ray John Rondo. And I take a look at that squad and I say, because of the experience that they have, because of the championship rings that they have, because of the different experiences throughout their careers that they've had, the extension, the, 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 the extended play of guys like LeBron and others who have played in international play, they've been put in different situations. They've been put outside of their comfort box and they succeeded. So I take a look at a team like the Lakers and I say, okay, that's a team that might have a better chance of being acclimated quicker to the environment that they're going to be playing in. People don't make that assumption in terms of what is, I mean, this is going to be new for all of these, all of these teams and all of these players. You're going to be playing with no fans. You're not going to have a home court advantage. You're not going to have the ability to go back home. You're going to be broken from the routine of what you do. How are you going to react to that? How are you going to get used to that? How are you going to become environmentally adapted adapted to that? And how long is it going to take you? I take a look at the team like the Houston Rockets who have a James Harden who, by the way, had lost 20 pounds after working out with Russell Westbrook in L.A. So, You have Westbrook, you have James Harden, you have Jeff Green, who's a veteran, you have Robert Covington, Tyson Chandler, who's a veteran, Damari Carroll, P.J. Tucker, Austin Rivers. You have these guys. So I think Houston is going to be in a pretty good situation coming back. You have a team that's trying to make the playoffs, who are trying to get into that uh, play-in tournament, someone like a San Antonio Spurs with the experience of a great Popovich's coach, along with uh, players like DeMar DeRozan, Rudy Gay, Marcus Aldridge. Marco Bellinelli, Patty Mills, Derek White, all of these veterans. You're talking about Bellinelli and, and Patty Mills playing an in international competition. You're speaking about Rudy Gay, who has been in the league over 10 plus years. So, you know, I compare those teams in terms of what success they're going to have against a team like, say, the Memphis Grizzlies who are going to be re- relying on players like John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. and Dylan Brooks and Brandon Clark and Justice Winslow. Those guys who have who are inexperienced. Now, is the youth and the vitality going to be able to overcome that? Once they get, how quickly, because of their youth, are they going to be able to acclimate themselves by playing in a different environment? We don't know. Everything is new. We don't know. And here's also something that people got also taken into account. The nasal swabs. If these players are going to be tested, sometimes multiple times a day, how comfortable are those guys going to be dealing with An extremely uncomfortable and painful experience of testing with the nasal swab situation. We don't know. And again, what happens if a player tests positive? What happens if LeBron and Kawhi and Giannis test positive for COVID-19 in the NBA finals? What's going to happen? Hey, man, y'all got a situation in place and just go for it. You have to figure it out as it goes along with this nonsense. I mean, what happens if Kawhi Leonard twists his ankle? What happens if LeBron James blows out his knee? What happens if Joel Embiid breaks his foot? What happens if Luka Doncic sprains his abdominal muscle? You move on, you go on. If they're going to be an asterisk by the champion and all this kind of nonsense, the teams that are coming back are playing for the championship. No. Does anybody remember that Tim Duncan also won NBA championship where well, they didn't have a complete regular season? Does anybody Is anybody sitting up there saying, Tim Duncan, four-time champion with one champion, a five-time NBA champion, one of those championships he won during a strikes uh, strike shortened season. Does anybody make that uh, connection? No. Five, 10, 15, 20 years from now, the champion for the ninth, for 2019-2020 NBA season, you won't even know. In 10, 15, 20 years from now, nobody's even going to remember when the NBA went on a hiatus, along with hockey and other sports. They might have the time frame, like, oh, yeah, was that 2017 or 2021? When did did that pandemic hit again? We're speaking about in the year 2037 or the year 2042. So when the history books go down, the champion for the NBA for the 2019-2020 season There's not going to be any type of discussion. There's not going to be any type of argument. Basically, what's going to be happening is if the Los Angeles Lakers and LeBron win this championship, which gives him champion number four, which gives him championship number five, which only puts him two behind Michael Jordan, all the Jordan sheep, all the Jordan losers, all the Jordan dick suckers, all the Jordan bow down and pray to him and bow down and... Worship the ground that he walks on. Save your bullshit. Save your nonsense. Save your argument. Save your oh yeah buts. The championship that LeBron will win if he wins this season will be legit. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So yeah, I'm extremely interested to see what's going to be happening coming back uh, in terms of you know who's going to be in shape, who's going to be doing what. And I'm interested to see exactly what this playoff format is going to be looking like. Because I don't know. I have absolutely no idea. I'm going to do a podcast because I've always had this situation where, you know, one thing with the NBA ratings are down. And I did this on another podcast. I don't know if you heard it. and I don't, I don't remember exactly which one it was. But I discussed a situation where to make the games more, make the games more meaningful or make the games more important, to give them something to play for, or something like that. I've said that a situation where you take the play, you take the teams that are not in the playoffs and you have them play in a tournament to see who wins the opportunity for the number one draft pick in the league. That has always been one of my thoughts and feelings about radically changing the NBA. Adam Silver, to boost up ratings during the regular season because of the low you know, in the, and the amount of games that are being played, that he's going to have play in tournaments and in-season tournaments and all of those type of things. I've always said, you know what, those guys, especially when you're speaking about teams that are tanking, one of the issues that uh, has plagued the league in terms of, you know, once teams are out of the playoffs, if you have an opportunity to draft yourself like a Zion Williams or a LeBron James or an Anthony Davis or one of those type of players, that you go ahead and you see what you can do about – Taking for the rest of the season, I've always said to break that, to uh, change that scenario that you go ahead and you have yourself a tournament to where the champion of that tournament gets themselves the number one pick, the runner-up gets the number two pick, so on and so forth. You have a, you know, constellation game to see who gets the number three and number four pick, and you and you do it that way. For me, that would be a lot more interesting and keep the interest of teams and fan bases of those who don't have an opportunity to win the uh, to win an NBA championship to give them something to root for, to give them something to cheer for. Because if our team can win this tournament and we have the ability to draft a player who can be a generational great, then that would in, that would uh, be enthusiastic and that would get their interest into the going ahead and to watching these games play. But, yeah, the NBA is going to be starting. The NBA is going to be coming back. The NBA soon! is going to be with us. Man, I cannot wait to see how this season plays out. Windows World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wall. so glad that you could be with us, man. What is going on with Mike Tyson? What is happening with Mike Tyson? Don't call, don't call it a comeback, or should we call it a comeback? What's happening in terms of a uh, boxing making headlines, being in the public spotlight, being in the public eye again? Mike Tyson is back, at least a little bit. We don't know because this was the situation. On AEW this past Wednesday with Rashad Evans, Vitor Belfort, Henry Cejudo going up against the inner circle led by, of course, Le Champion.
6: Oh, this is nasty. You might want to
0: turn your heads, folks.
6: This I got, you got a piece of leaves you Hold on, here. on a second, calm down. Got your thugs out here. You educated gentlemen? I'm going to say this to you one time, Tyson. Shut your mouth when I'm talking to you. Huh? You understand me? I have been dreaming of this moment for 10 years. You turned on me. You looked me in the eye and said I could trust you. And then you turned on me and you knocked me out.
0: Because you're a
2: sucker, man. You deserve that, man. Because you were wrong. You stole the champion.
6: One chance, and one chance only. I'm gonna demand that you apologize to me for knocking me out. Hold on, 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 hold on. Hey, hold on! Your thugs need to shut up. I'll give you. Hold on. Well, talking I'm gonna say one more time. Here. Take I'm a look gonna at give this. you one chance to apologize to me, or I'm gonna knock you the hell out. Apologize to me before I knock your damn teeth down your throat. You understand me? Never, never, never. Don't hold your breath, Lissompion. Oh, so oh, Jericho! Oh, no. Slugging Tyson! Tyson, Trent. look at right hand of by Jericho! I've uh, got all hell is breaking loose! All hell is breaking loose here! The locker room is empty to restrain Chris Jericho and Iron Mike Tyson!
0: Ah, uh, yes, what is happening, man, with Mike Tyson? Out there brawling with Chris Jericho. The same just Chris Jericho. When he came back to then the WWF, he interrupted a Rocks promo. Everybody had a great pop for the return of Chris Jericho. Uh, no, I think, no, no, no. I don't even think, I think this was when he was with WCW and the mass exodus happened because they were all tired of Kevin Nash and Scott Hall and... Hulk Hogan and all those guys getting all the pubs. So Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit and Perry Saturn and Dean Malenko and Jericho and those guys said, fuck that. And Vince McMahon said, oh, you want to leave and come to us? Come on down, boys. Come on down. So the introduction of Chris Jericho in the WWF, where I think he got hooked up with Howard Finkel. I think that was his first little soiree into the WWF at that time after he announced himself. He interrupted the Rock's promo when Rock was giving a promo. And the Rock kind of looked at him. Of course, he had the sunshades on. And this is when Rock was a face. And he looked at Jericho after Jericho gave his little spiel. And the Rock said, you dare to come and interrupt the Rock's promo? While the Rock was out here winning the WWF championship, you were down south fighting some guy named Hoovy (laughs) Tood. All oh, The Rock, The Rock says, good days during the Attitude Era of the then WWF. But yes, one of the best who have ever done it, who has ever done it, Chris Jericho. And Mike Tyson looks like they're going to be, looks like they're going to be getting it on as the whole nonsense with the inner circle and the, um, and Mike Tyson and his boys. So I'm like, what to make of this? Because I know that Tyson was also at the, uh, at their pay-per-view holding that belt and i'm like man what's going on you know I, I what what's happening with mike tyson it seemed like more and more and mike tyson i thought mike tyson was just going to be the guy who was just going to chill who was just going to relax who was just going to do a stage show, who was just going to get into some things that didn't require him to be at the center of attention. Now, look, I understand that AEW is not the WWF, and I understand that wrestling is not the same of maybe you know a bigger stage or a bigger spotlight to say, wow, Mike Tyson is back in the spotlight. He's taking center stage. I understand that, but it's like, is Mike Tyson trying to make a comeback back into being that public figure? Is Mike Tyson in, in a situation to where he's trying to heaven forbid, at 53, make a comeback. And when I say make a comeback and get into the ring, I'm not a comeback in terms of fighting Deontay Wilder or fighting um, Tyson Fury or Anthony Joshua or any of those guys. I'm thinking about maybe a situation where he might get into the ring, maybe if he can convince Evander Holyfield that they could throw enough money at him or maybe do some type of gimmick fight or anything like that. Mike Tyson... Going to go down that avenue It just seemed like maybe this was a situation where Mike Tyson was sitting at home and he missed being Mike Tyson he missed maybe he was the Michael Jordan docu series even though I think it's far as you know getting himself back into this back into the uh, people's minds and conscience and lips again the fact that this was before this whole docu series with Jordan in the last run went down but man you, you got to remember them for those of a certain age you have to remember that back in the day at his height. It was Bo Jackson. It was Mike Tyson and it was Michael Jordan. And you can make an argument on which one was bigger. Seriously. Because when we're not talking about Michael Jordan when he was playing in Laney High School in North Carolina or his freshman and sophomore year at North Carolina. No, when Michael Jordan was out there with the Jordan Swoop and the Jordan gear and the Jordan, the Nike Airs and all this kind of stuff, when he was building that empire, when he was building that brand, and Jordan with this and Jordan with that and Jordan, 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 right before the Gatorade ad campaign about I want to be like Mike. It was the It wasn't. It wasn't. In a lot of instances, in a lot of neighborhoods, in a lot of parts of the countries and around the world, yeah, it was, I want to be like Mike. I want to be like Mike Tyson, not Michael Jordan. And before the ad campaign with Gatorade talking about, I want to be like Mike, there was something a little bit better that came out, which was Bo Knows. Bo Knows Diddley, Bo Knows this, Bo Knows that. So at the time when Mike Tyson was at his greatest, when Mike Tyson was at his heights of his powers... He arguably was the most iconic global icon during that time, at least the most recognizable figure as far as current athletes at that time. Wasn't Michael Jordan. Wasn't um, um, Bo Jackson. So I'm just sitting there going, wait a minute now. Is, Is Mike Tyson starting to miss being Iron Mike Tyson? Is Mike Tyson starting to miss the spotlight? Is Mike Tyson getting bored? Is Mike Tyson running out of things to do? the challenge to keep him occupied, and now is he having a midlife crisis? Is this the situation that he's going to be going down? You know, and let me tell you something, man. I mean, if Joe Lewis can go ahead and and wrestle, if uh, others can go ahead and wrestle, I don't think that Mike Tyson is taking a step back. I don't think Mike Tyson is demeaning himself. I don't think Mike Tyson is lowering his standards or affecting his legacy or any type of that nonsense by going into wrestling by going into the wrestling business, or as Vince McMahon would say, the entertainment business, I think this is a good deal for Mike Tyson. I, I believe in what AEW is, is doing. I think they've got a great stable of talent down there with Chris Jericho and some of those young cats that they have going down there. I mean, you know, Sammy, oh, my goodness, what that motherfucker's name? Oh, the, 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 the Spanish God. That guy's, that guy's unbelievable. Darby Allen, that guy's unbelievable. They're like Jeff Hardy 2.0. Some of the shit that they can do, you know. You got Hangman Page. You got, I think, the greatest worker in the in the in the game right now, and Kenny Omega. I mean, he's still doing his thing. So AEW, you got Dustin Rhodes, who's a fabulous performer. You got an absolute beauty in his wife and Brandy Rhodes. I mean, you got JR on the on, on the mic. You got Tony Schiavone, who sounds better than ever. I mean, the AEW is building something really, really nice. And the fact that Mike Tyson came down and lent his name and lent the fact that. Uh, You know, Rashard Evans and Henry Cejudo. We don't know what's up with Henry Cejudo. I was predicting that he would come back and try for another title at the 145, but who knows? Vitor Belfort? I mean, these are all names that people who follow this sport or this area of entertainment, they know, which gets them interested. It's a good coup. Wonderful coup for AEW. Interesting to see now what they can do with it. Let me tell you something. Vince McMahon... Maybe the Vince McMahon of 10, 15 years ago. Right now, the Vince McMahon of today. A little bit sketchy, uh, but the Vince McMahon of 10, 15 years ago? Shit. Could you imagine what he could do with Mike Tyson and these guys that are coming into um, wrestling, if these guys are actually going to be part of AEW? Could you imagine with Vince McMahon at the height of his powers in terms of his ability to run the WWE in the storylines that he would be putting out and some of the... Directions that he could take uh, these guys and the characters that he could put them into and and, and lead them on the right direction. Could you imagine giving him such talent as Tyson, Belfort, and Cejudo? Tyson and McMahon worked together before, and it was fabulous. That whole Jericho and Triple H and Shawn Michaels and, of course, the Steve Austin, um, Shawn Michaels angle that, that Austin was a part of. It was gold. It was fabulous. So it'll be interesting to see what the folks at AEW are going to do, especially now in this pandemic where a couple of avenues that they can go down and try out are not available to them at this moment. It'll be interesting to see exactly what Dustin Rhodes and the folks who are putting this together will do with the talent that they have available to them. But, you know, getting back to Mike Tyson, man, I, so I was intrigued. When I watched this, and it kind of like, I really didn't want to talk about it. You know, Dana White has some stuff on Mike Tyson that he wanted to talk about. Tyson Fury calling out Mike Tyson thing. I was always like, eh, hey, you know, whatever, this, that, and the other. But then, and I was deciding whether I should go ahead and, you know, do a segment on a podcast about it. I saw it on AEW, and I wanted to tie Tyson with AEW and talk about it in that direction. And But then I remember... Something that I saw that was really compelling and concerning all at the same time. It was on the podcast uh, Hot Boxing with Sugar Ray, where Tyson was a guest. And he was talking about his frustration with who he is now and how he misses the old Iron Mike Tyson and how emotional that he got speaking about that. Listen to the last 45, 47 seconds of this.
2: I know the art of fighting. I know the art of
0: war. That's all
2: I ever studied. That's why I'm so feared. That's why they feared me when I was in the ring. Because I was annihilated. That's all I was born for. And now those days are gone. It's empty. I'm nothing. I'm working on being the art of humbleness. Can you believe me? That's the reason why I'm crying. Because I'm not that person no more. And I miss him. Because sometimes I feel like a bitch. Because I don't want to. I don't want that person to come out because if he comes out, hell is coming with him. And it's not funny at all. It must sound cool like I'm a tough guy. It's just that
0: he think I'm scared of him. Damn, 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 damn. Equating who he is as a man and human being with his ability to have once been a warrior, feared, a punisher, stone-cold killer in the ring, master in the art of fighting. Man. Feels less of a man. Feels like a bitch, yet he had to practice the art of humbleness. He misses Iron Mike Tyson. But through tears, through emotion, he knows that he has to keep him locked up. Because if he gets out, hell is coming with him, and he's scared of him. Hell for who? I mean, I would, I would be a little nervous if I was interviewing him, and he said that. And I was. My next question would be. Mike, if he gets out and he brings hell with him, who's it going to be hell for? Is it going to be hell for you? Is it going to be hell for your loved ones? Is it going to be hell for your children? Is it going to be hell for innocent bystanders? And what exactly does that mean? If hell comes out, are we talking about some type of physical violence? Are we talking about some type of physical attack? Are we talking about something that might be considered unhinged? What exactly are we talking about? What kind of hell are you talking about? What kind of hell are you fearful of? It can only mean mean that, right? Can't mean anything else. So what is going to trigger this? I mean, we're almost talking about a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, man. As I mentioned before at the beginning of the podcast, This is almost like a situation where it's like Bruce Banner and the Incredible Hulk. Not David Banner, not Bill Bixby's character. I'm talking about the Marvel Comics Stan Lee, Bruce Banner, Incredible Hulk deal. I'm not talking about don't make me angry, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. I'm not talking about the Lou Ferrigno character. I'm talking about the destructive Stan Lee character, baby. What what, what are we talking about here? What type of metamorphosis are you going to be going through if, if Iron Mike Tyson comes out? Because that's who he's talking about. There's two Mike Tysons now. You have Mike Tyson and you have Iron Mike Tyson. The 53 year old Mike Tyson, I think, is an inspirational, inspiring, interesting, compelling public figure. I think 53 year old Mike Tyson can be a guy who can do good work in our communities and society. I think 53 year old Mike Tyson could go into any community. He could go down to North Las Vegas. He could go over to Liberty City in Miami. He could go over to the streets in the slums and the ghettos of Baltimore, and New York City, and Detroit, Michigan, and Flint, and Portland, Oregon, and Seattle, Washington, and Tacoma, Washington, and San Francisco, California, and Albuquerque, New Mexico, and Dallas, Texas, and Laredo, Texas. I think Mike Tyson can go into the t- t- such places as Kansas City, Missouri. I think Mike Tyson can go into the ghettos in the inner cities and those in the downtrodden like Ferguson, Missouri, and Gary, Indiana. I think he can go to those places, and he can inspire those people because Mike Tyson did come from nothing and Mike Tyson reached the greatest of heights. And then Mike Tyson fell down. And then Mike Tyson for a while was a piranha. And then Mike Tyson did go to prison. And then Mike Tyson did arose, arrived from that. And then Mike Tyson, who many people thought at 53 years old, wouldn't even be around is a productive citizen and is doing things. And he's, I thought that he was happy, that he was content with his life. When everybody thought that he was going to be um, dead and gone, that he was going, going to go by the way of Sonny Liston. You had Mike Tyson. That was one of the reasons why he loved Sonny Liston so much, because he saw him and Sonny Liston's life so parallel that just like Sonny, who died unexpectedly and tragically, that Tyson was going to go out just like him. No one thought that Tyson would turn into the person that he was at this time, including... If you ask him at as various points of his life, Mike Tyson. So Mike Tyson could go down to the ghetto. Mike Tyson could go down to Appalachia. Mike Tyson could go to the trailer park trash. Mike Tyson could go to the to the uh, to to the barrios. Mike Tyson can go down to those where those who are downtrodden, those who are beaten down, those who are oppressed, those who aren't given anything, those who aren't predicted to be anything, those who are looking to be born in a situation. Graduate from high school in that situation. Go back and work at a menial job in that situation. Marry the local girl from that situation. Stay in that situation. Struggle in that situation. Uh, not strive in that situation. Mike Tyson can go to those areas and say, nah, man, look at me. Look at me. Completely. Totally. 100%. The entire book. The entire chapter. The entire verse. The entire song. The entire movie. Look at me, man. I made it. And I came from a worse area you did. Oh, that's because you were big and you were bad and you were tough and you were a boxer. No, 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 no. After all of that happened, when I was still a nobody, I still rose from the ashes to make something of myself. I still rose from the ashes to live a productive life. I still rose from the ashes to become a contributor to the society. Brother, you can do the same thing. You can do the same thing that I did. Sister, you can do the same thing that I did. Me and you can do the same thing that I did. Brother man, you can do the same thing that I did. That 53-year-old Tyson, I want to see. That Mike Tyson, I want to see. What I don't want to see, what I'm scared as shit as, what I'm s- concerned about, if I was anybody close and related to Mike Tyson, who cared about Mike Tyson, who intimately knew Mike Tyson, who had any type of kinship to Mike Tyson, the thing that would scare me is the 53-year-old Iron mike tyson because when mike tyson was the baddest man on this planet when mike tyson was the baddest man walking iron mike tyson didn't do himself any favors iron mike tyson didn't do mike tyson any favors not at all none at all and that's when mike tyson was the baddest man physically walking this planet in some circles what 53 year old iron mike tyson can do now to hurt himself. To hurt others. To hurt his loved ones. Oh. I don't know, man. I don't want to see that Mike Tyson coming out. And I tell you, I I, I have done I've done a complete one eighty on Mike Tyson. <laughs> I was a guy who when he was at his peak, when he was at his badness, I thought he was a detriment to our community. I thought he was an embarrassment to our community. I didn't want him in our community. I wasn't one of those guys who were sitting there talking about free Mike Tyson, free Mike Tyson. I wasn't one of those guys. I was one of those guys that said, good, he's exactly where he belongs. And the sooner that Mike Tyson can stay in a cage or go into a grave for the betterment, for the advancement of our community, Sounds good to me. That was my attitude back when Mike Tyson was doing his thing. Call it cruel. Call it ignorant. Call it what you want to, but that's the way I was feeling back then. When Mike Tyson would act the way he would act, and white folks would laugh at him. And the white folks would sit there and make fun of him. And Mike Tyson would just sit there and take it and, and play the, and play the buffoon and play the sambo and play the... And play the, Mr. Tom. But Mike Tyson turned his life around. Mike Tyson became a productive citizen. Mike Tyson became someone that would be good for all of society. Didn't go to college. Didn't marry a white woman. Didn't do all the things that you see in the movies. You know, Didn't do any of them things. Built himself up to become the person that he is. I want to see that Mike Tyson continue. I want to see that Mike Tyson, 53-year-old Mike Tyson, become 63-year-old Mike Tyson. And then 73-year-old Mike Tyson. Then 83-year-old 83, Mike, 83 year old Mike Tyson. That's what I want to see Mike Tyson become. But what I heard in that video, who knows, man. I don't know Mike Tyson. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not a psychiatrist. So I don't know if he was yelling for help or anything. I don't know. I don't know. You know, like I said, I, I don't know Mike Tyson, haven't talked to Mike Tyson, and I haven't gotten a degree in psychology. You know, no one's ever sat, I sat on my couch and I've diagnosed him with something or talked about, tell me what it was like when you were a child. So I'm not really qualified to sit there and to diagnose Mike Tyson for it's a call for help or any of that nonsense. I'm not an expert in that, very ignorant in that field. So I'll leave that alone. But from a layman's point of view, I saw something to where maybe something, maybe somebody who cared about us would be like, hey, Mike, what's going on, man? You all right? I mean, you know, what's going on, man? What can we do to make sure that, that Iron Mike Tyson stays well locked up? Fuck it, man. What can we do to finally extinguish the life of Iron Mike Tyson so Mike Tyson can live in freedom, unshackled, and live the rest of his life in peace. What can we do? What can we do? So interesting, interesting to see the machinations and exactly what's gonna be happening moving forward with Mike Tyson, and please, Mike, keep iron Mike Tyson, do everything that you can. keep him locked up. keep him locked up for good. It'll benefit you. It'll benefit your loved ones. It'll benefit everybody that you care about. So there you go. All right, man. I am done. I'm done. I'm exhausted. Mm, I'm exhausted. But you know what? I want to thank you very much for listening. I want to thank you very much for taking the time. I want to thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to get all of this out in terms of what was going down. My thoughts and my feelings with the George Floyd. What we need to do as a country. What we need to do as a human race. What we need to do as black folks and white folks and Hispanic folks and Asian folks and all of my... All of my folks, all of God's children on this planet getting together and seeing what we can do, man, because that's exactly what we're going to do. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do this at the rate that we're going, man. We're not going to be able to do this by... Ignorance. We're not going to be able to do this by not paying attention. We're not going to be doing this by ignoring the problem. We're not going to be doing this by passing the buck. We're not going to be doing this by kicking the can down the road. We're not going to be able to get where we want to get to as a society if we don't take some major steps. Everybody, some more than some communities more than others, but everybody, everybody needs to share in this. Everybody needs to help each other out. Everybody. White folks, y'all can't do it alone. Black folks, we can't do it alone. Hispanic folks, we can't do it alone. M- Muslims, we can't, y'all can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. We need to come together as one. That's the one strong, loving, harmonious unit. So when we do see the intruders, when we do have, shall we say, the COVID-19 that looks, that looks to disrupt and to um, and to destroy uh, things that we've built, things that we're trying to build, putting obstacles in ways of us trying to move forward. Man, we've got to we got to get that out, man. No matter no matter where that virus, no matter from where that pandemic, that, epo- that 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 source is coming from, whether it's coming from white folks, whether it's coming from black folks, whether it's coming from Asian folks whether it's coming from the Klan, whether it's coming from the far left, whether it's coming from wherever it's coming from, we need to be strong enough as a entire community in this United States to ward off those who look to destroy us from each one of our communities because it's going to happen. Everybody has an agenda, everybody, for, for folks who want to do that, from that block, from that Time and space. They all have an agenda. They're all coming from an area of selfishness. They're all coming from an area of hate. And we need to see what we can do to nip that in the bud to make sure that if there is a string that they can pull on to start unraveling the fabric of the unity and the love and the understanding and the education and the harmonious actions that we have, that before they start tugging too far, they start really separating us that scissors cuts that off so there you go love y'all take it easy i'll be back music